Welcome to another episode of the Grappling with Life podcast. Today I am joined by almost a le- like this. This channel has been a great source of entertainment because it's beautiful because it mixes martial arts with comedy. Not all the time, but so that's quite serious stuff. But uh, n- I'm joined by none other, none other than Rob from Dojo Life. Rob, yo, what's up? How's it going, man? First, let's just, um, we'll, we'll pretend that we haven't spoken before we started recording. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll pretend we weren't talking for like 10 minutes. Exactly, we exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so first, I want to just say how awesome it was for you to kind of agree to come on. Um, I know you've got quite a big channel and I was really actually taken aback that you agreed to come on. Um, and to be honest, we've been, I've been following you for quite a while. Um, and uh, I just love the content and it's so original as well. Uh, I guess we, let's just get started. I think we, we want to know the, the man behind McDojo, right? So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself um, and then we're going to get cracking. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, to get started with the first thing that you said, you were, you were taken back that I agreed. Don't yeah. be too shocked because I agree to do absolutely anyone's show who asks. I don't care how many followers you have. <laughs> I don't care how long you've been doing it. I have that rule for myself that I would, when I started anyway, I would answer every direct message I ever got. And I would do anyone's show whoever asked. And that rule will always stand forever. I don't care if I have a billion followers. I'm just a dude. And if some people want to listen to me talk, I appreciate it. But I'm just a person. You know, I always found it weird when there was like people with like 10,000 followers who would never answer a DM. Mm. It's like, we're not that important. Like, we're just people. And so like, if somebody takes the time to think that I'm interesting enough to talk to, then let's do it. Let's make it happen. But um but yeah, I've been training martial arts for about 25 years of my life. Um, I'm a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, black belt in karate. Uh, I am a uh, third degree black belt in something called Lissajodo, which is a weapon system not too many people have heard of. Basically just means I'm good at nunchucks. Uh, <laughs> six and nine amateur boxer, four and two amateur kickboxer. I was on an international kickboxing team for two years called Team Full Circle, where we traveled internationally and did kickboxing and sport karate tournaments. And I've uh, been doing martial arts business consulting now for a decade and McDojo life now for almost a decade. So that's a that's a, what I do. Who I am, I guess. Awesome, man. So, um, wow, you fit a lot in in quite a small uh, <laughs> period. So, okay. Uh-huh. So, talk to me like the 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 moment. We're gonna get to your your martial arts background because that's quite interesting, yeah. But talk to me about the moment you you decided. You know what? Let's mix. I don't know if it, if that's what you thought, but where did this idea come from to start a channel? Like my dojo uh, life. Well, I was butt naked one day. I'm covered in, <laughs> I'm covered in tuna salad. Um, Serious? Too, no, no, of course not. <laughs> no, man. I just want to see your reaction. <laughs> like, what was happening that day? Um, no, man. I was uh, at the time. I was a program director, and I was working at a jujitsu academy. Okay. Um, same one I train at now. I just don't really give away all that information freely because I don't like my personal life to get involved with this. Yeah. I get a lot of death threats. I leave that stuff out. But okay. um, so I was a program director at the time, and I helped with the kids' classes, and I was their striking coach. So during the noon class, I was there just trying to you know do the paperwork and all that stuff for a program director would do, and the boss calls and he's like, Hey man, I'm not able to come in. Would you be able to teach this class today? And I, at the time I was like a four stripe blue belt. So I was like, yeah, sure. Not a problem. So I taught like a uh, triangle choke arm bar and then the transition between the two. 
and then I let the guys spar. And then afterwards, because it's a noon class, people are either rushing to go back to work or they have absolutely nothing to do. So a lot of dudes would stay, we'd shoot, we'd shoot shit, chit chat. And uh, we got on the subject of McDojo's. And there was one guy there and it was only a second class ever. And he was just listening. He was being pretty quiet. And then everybody left except for him. And he pulled me back to the side and he said, hey, man, I'm a little embarrassed. I didn't want to ask this in front of everybody, but what's a McDojo? Um, and I explained to him now what's become the basis five rules of the page. Um, it was, you know, it's a different version then, but I explained to him what a McDojo was. And he asked me a very specific, basic question. He said, why doesn't anybody do anything about that? And I thought, huh, it's a good question. Like that, nobody does do anything about that. You know, there is no regulating body to arm all martial arts. Um, you know, individual arts have different regulating bodies, but there's no universal standard for what should constitute as a martial arts instructor. Literally anyone can wake up tomorrow and just be like, you know what? I'm going to start a martial art. I'm going to be the 45th degree black belt of Steve's martial arts and all you can eat emporium. And then just start a martial arts school. Like, um, so there is no regulating body. So the next day or that night I went home, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I was like looking and researching and I couldn't find anything that was really doing anything about it. There was like a forum or two here or there that was like talking, but they were just basically talking. They weren't like actually trying to help anything. There was no real thought process to how to make it better. And so the next day I started to make Dojo Life. Wow. Okay. So, cause I, I know it from the Instagram channel and, and, the, and, and, and the videos, right? So, um, and it does obviously, the one that really, really broke my heart. Yeah. Where's the judo one, the judo instructor. You know where he, um, the kid was was getting thrown and he got brain yeah, damage. Taiwan. Yeah, I was I in Taiwan. That. Yeah. Oh yeah, my it was god. In Taiwan. I remember that. I remember almost all these cases, which is crazy to me because my memory is garbage from getting hit in the head for years. But um, you know, I've had a lot of concussions. Um, but you know that that particular story was absolutely insane because in that story, for anybody who doesn't know, this was the child's only the child's like second class or something like that. He had not been training very long. He showed every sign of a concussion. He said he was dizzy. He said he was nauseous. He threw up. Um, he said he was done. He said he was tired. All of those kind of lead to saying like, maybe there's some medical problem going on, especially after a child throws up. And the instructor with that tough love mentality, which way too many people have in the martial arts industry, um, was like, keep going. It'll make him strong. Meanwhile, he's continuing to throw this child over and over and over again, not only himself, but then involving other children to force them to throw this child as well. And now, how do you think those kids are going to deal with that, at the, knowing that they helped kill another kid? Oh, he died. Then, he did die. Uh, he went into a coma for oh. about two months. And then after the coma, he passed away. But the worst part of it all is the lack of education, because his uncle was there the entire time. His uncle watched this happen. He did nothing to stop it. Because for some reason in the martial arts industry, we put people who are martial arts instructors on some type of pedestal that they have not earned nor deserve. Think about the real skill that a martial arts instructor is providing. The service that you're paying for is the fact that they know how to beat people up and you don't. So you're literally paying someone to teach you how to beat people up. Everything else is supplemental. Respect, honor, integrity is assumed. It's not necessarily true. They're just people. They don't, you can't just give virtues to somebody because they have a title. They are just people. And we forget that so much with martial artists that we allow them to do some of the most egregious, horrific acts 
while we as martial artists complain and bitch and moan about the most petty garbage ever. So that happened, right? That kid got tossed around and literally murdered in a martial arts class when, while his uncle watched and did nothing about that, right? Meanwhile, people will complain and argue about how long it takes somebody to get a belt. But they'll ignore the fact that this kind of stuff happens. People will complain and argue about like, oh, that's ridiculous. That art is stupid. All right, well, that art's stupid to you, but not to somebody else. So you're complaining about something that's subjective. Meanwhile, this person over here is getting raped. Oh, well, we're not going to talk about that, but we'll complain about the petty things. And so I think the real goal of the page is to try to get everyone on the same page as martial artists to say, look, these things are subjective. These things are the real problems. Let's focus on the real issues. Stop complaining about how much something costs. If you're an adult and you go to a martial arts facility and they tell you the price and they're honest to you, just because you find it expensive, that's subjective to your income. That's subjective to your personal view about what is and what isn't expensive. doesn't make them a McDojo. But meanwhile, again, you'll have somebody like Edon Abelnik, who literally set up in, uh, martial arts uh, seminars all over the world, asked everyone to pay in full, and then never showed up and refuses to give refunds. And he still runs an organization today. And by the way, that particular guy shot a student doing gun disarms with live ammunition. So like, what are we complaining about? Why are we complaining about the petty things when there are these major issues that are being ignored in an industry that's unregulated? So, okay, so you started the, you, so did you start an Instagram page first or is it like a website or how did it, how did it kind of, uh, kind of- Well, it's evolved over the years. I started on Facebook. Okay. Uh, because at the time, Instagram wasn't a thing yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I started on Facebook and I started doing long forum essays. So they were like seven, eight paragraphs long of like complaints about what was going on in martial arts facilities. And then I noticed that I was saying so much, I wasn't leaving any room for conversation. So like people would like it, but they wouldn't share it. Or people would like barely interact, but they have nothing to add. And then one day I just like randomly saw like a comedy video. It was like a video. I don't know if you guys remember this video or not. I think this is the one. It's one of the ones anyway, where like I didn't have time that day to like do a write up. And so I was like, oh, I'll just share this video and maybe that'll be my content for the day. And it was like a baby fighting like a stuffed dragon. And he like ripped into the dragon's chest and pulled out fluff as if it was, it was funny. <laughs> yeah. And so I posted it and that video got more shares and got me more followers and more likes and more interaction than any post I had made. And I was like, well, maybe there's something to the entertainment side of this that I'm missing. I'm trying to make it so serious because of how I feel about this that I'm missing what will actually get people to look at the content. And so then from then on out, I started doing everything in very short form. So I'd only leave like a sentence and not even really say my opinion. I would just say a sentence and then I'd post the video and I'd let people talk on their own. And I noticed not only were people more engaging with each other in conversation about if this is right or wrong, but the conversations were deeper. And on top of that, more people were sharing them and more people were kind of giving feedback as to what they thought could be better. But the perk, and most people don't know this, is I started finding a lot of frauds in the comment sections. So like I posted out there and there'd always be someone defending it. And I'd be like, well, who's this? And I just go down these rabbit holes and learn about all this stuff. <laughs> I was like, so this person thinks that it's okay to smack around this five-year-old and they run a martial arts facility. Well, let's learn about them. And then I'd go down this rabbit hole and be like, this guy believes he can knock people out with his mind. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> so I just, 
thanks for the content people crazy people oh, so like how did how did the communities uh receive it so um when it started to kind of snowball a little bit what kind of like recept uh, response did you get from not from the internet from i guess there's the internet and then there's real life right so how did it Im impact real life um well one thing one thing i can say that i know impacts real life is i get messages every day from people who thank me for what i do um, I never expected it to do that, although uh, ultimately the goal is to help people. So I'm glad that I received those messages, but that obviously affects people in real life. They've told me how some people have said they've left martial arts cults because they realized that they were in one. Uh, people said that they found martial arts because of the page. Um, so they had never trained before a day in their life. And then all of a sudden they saw our page and they were like, well, I'd like to learn something legitimate. Um, you know, people have reached out to me about some really egregious things about like rape and fraud and um, abuse. And they give me the, that information so I can hunt it down and then I start calling it out. I mean, um, I was in Black Belt Magazine and an article that they did online. And on that magazine article, it was about an instructor in, in Egypt who was a coach who was literally kicking the living dog crap out of like a seven-year-old kid. And he's like punching him in the, they have glo the gloves and gear on, but he's really abusing that kid. He's like hitting him like a grown man. And uh, I, I hunted that guy down. I hunted all of his information and I doxed him, which I know people online don't like, but I don't care because I'm brutal when it comes to this stuff. If you abuse a kid, I yeah. will come after you. And so I wound up doxing him. I put out all his information. And then in Egypt, they have like a, a governing body over MMA and a governing body over kickboxing. So I put the governing bodies, the person who's the president of that governing body, I put his phone number out for everybody to call. And that dude contacted me five hours later. And because he, he got so many phone calls that he asked me, he begged me to take it down. And the, I was the, like, the, the abuser, not the abuser, the, uh, the guy who's the head of the Federation. Oh, so right. like okay. that, that particular country does have a regulating body. And so because I put that guy's phone number out there, so many people were calling saying, you need to get this guy removed. Oh, you need I see. Guy removed. And so finally he was like, dude, stop. Like they won't stop calling my phone. And I was like, good. Absolutely good. That means people actually care. They pair, they care more than just posting a comment. And you should care too. And then um, the only only thing that kind of sucked about that was Egypt's response to that particular issue about that child abuse was to make him a legitimate certified coach. That's what they did. Apparently, he was not a certified coach, and they think they their thought process was if we can just coach him and teach him how to be a better coach, then he will be. It's like that's not how that works. Mm. So, you know, obviously putting eyeballs on it and making sure people are aware of who these people are is highly important. It doesn't always work in my favor. I wish it did, but it doesn't. Um, but, you know, at least it shows that you can make an impact. Like I could reach around the world and mm. snatch this dude up for a second and say, look, you're abusing a kid. Um, and it was really funny. Like, I can't tell you the, the MMA fighters who contacted me, but I had three major fighters, one of which was a title holder, contact me. And they said, hey, man, what do you think if we get together and go to Europe and beat the living? Or, uh, <laughs> Egypt, sorry. They said, what do you think if we get together and go to Egypt and beat the crap out of this guy? And I was like, not my thing, but I'm down to go. Like, let's do it. Like, the so. other day, um, Zach, was show Zach, the producer, he was showing me, uh, there's this guy that... Um, he hunts down, you know, those uh, telephone uh, call center scammers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Amazon scammers and stuff. And uh, 
Like he was just showing, like these guys, like he hacked into their CCTV camera. He sent them cockroaches. He sent them rats. It was like, it was, <laughs> he ruined their lives, man. Like, and then obviously he went to India and then he got, he's got guys on the ground and like maybe McDojo 2.0 could be like a, like a show. Where you kind of well, so we, we actually did film a documentary. It's funny because we, uh, we raised $20,000. We were trying to raise wow. 200,000, but we realized like, so there was a couple things going on in the industry that we were not aware of when we started trying to do crowdfunding for our project. Apparently there was a guy who tried to make like a documentary about the red belts and jujitsu, like the only few that are alive. I guess there were like 10, maybe 15. And his documentary was going to be about going around and filming those people in person and interviewing them. He just didn't have a real strong understanding of how much that really costs to do. And I think most people don't like making a movie is really, really expensive. And so he did that, but unfortunately he never actually made the movie and he kept everyone's money and then he disappeared. Mm. And so that happened all like that was very fresh apparently. And I wasn't aware of it. Um, and then all of a sudden when we tried to crowdfund, we kept getting messages from people like, this is like another red belt documentary. You're just going to like, no, it's not just because that guy's a bull doesn't mean I am <laughs> like, I don't know that dude. Like <laughs> that dude sucks. I agree. He shouldn't have like, he should have given everybody's money back, but with the 20,000 we were actually able to raise. Oh, by the way, another thing, just in case this person hears this. So when, as we're crowdfunding, some douchebag online made a 30 minute documentary, which wasn't a documentary. It was just 30 minute YouTube video that he called the documentary about fake martial arts and half his clips in the beginning of that without our permission were my clips. <laughs> and he did that right when we're crowdfunding for a documentary. So we got a ton of people saying, hey, guys, you don't need to, like, donate to his documentary because this guy already did one. It's like, no, he didn't. He made a YouTube video. These are complete. There was no original content on that video. And it's like, that's not what we're trying to do. So we were having to fight this uphill battle. Is it out? We the, docu it. the documentary? It's not out yet. So we're in oh, distribution. Right. So we filmed it last year, January through March, which was awesome. Uh, we, we got to film. I can't tell you. I wish I could tell you everybody we filmed with, but I can't yet because we might have to do reshoots. And if I tell you, they right. might not want to refilm with us. Not cool. um, but I can tell you every major martial arts fraud that there is like that you can think of off the top of your head, we filmed with. So just be prepared to see some very celebrity type frauds that agreed to film with us. Tell um, me, Steven, so we, tell me you got Steven Seagal, man. I can't, I can't tell you. <laughs> okay. Tell you Say no more. Say no more. I can't tell you who's on it. And I can tell you like one, one guy we, we talked to um, is the figurehead of an organization, um, a major organization, and he believes that he can knock people out with his mind. He was telling us <laughs> and trying to explain it to us. One guy believes that there is a place that you can hit someone and they die three days later. One guy believes that he can dodge bullets, literally on camera saying the words, this is me showing you I can dodge bullets. Um, there, uh, it is, one is in a, um, can't, I, one was the biggest fraud in the 1970s, hands down. Um, <laughs> um, famous around the world. Um, so I can tell you right now, the people that we're going to get on here after this movie comes out will probably never agree to doing another documentary again. <laughs> but with that said, um, you know, we just got an agency, a major, I can't, again, I, there's so much I can't tell you I want to, but we just got a major agency literally yesterday to sign on with our project. 
So we'll as see. of right now, we are actually represented by a talent agency. Can't tell you which one, but that talent agency is going to take this out starting in June. So we're going to start shopping it in June. And then they're going to, well, obviously our goal is to get reshoots because the movie we wanted to make, we couldn't make on $20,000. Right, right. But um, we're, I want to fly to Indonesia, confront some of those cults that are over there. Um, I actually already have like a team of people who are ready to go over there with us as protection because Indonesia is a third world country and yep. they will hack you to death with machetes if you call out their religion and their cult. So, um, but I'm about that life. Let's go. <laughs> like, it reminded it. me of, uh, do you remember that show that um, they used to do? Uh, it was the, the guy that um, commentated for a little bit for UFC. I think UFC or Bellator. Bald guy, I can't remember his name. He'd travel around the world and do different martial arts for like a week or something. Did you I know? Got you. Yeah. Um, I do remember that program. They all, I think that was the program where at the end of it, would he like actually spar with them? But it exactly. Was like really exactly. Yeah, he so went like to Indonesia and some wild stuff over there, man. Like Absolutely uh, insane. Yeah. Yeah. Insane, a, Indonesia has a couple things that people aren't aware of. Like the thing is, is that when you look at Indonesian culture, it's all very influenced by religion. Yeah. And so what people forget is like your culture is things that originate from your land. Yeah. Um, the They're very impacted by the Muslim religion, which did not start in Indonesia. It was yes. brought in. Yeah. And so what happens is a lot of these cult leaders will take that Muslim religion and kind of cherry pick some of the crazier things and put it into their martial art. Mm. And then whenever you try to call it out, they'll say, oh, you're making fun of our culture. Yeah. It's like, I'm pretty sure your culture didn't have fluorescent light bulbs that you were required to eat no. 2000 years ago. You know, like that wasn't a part of your culture. So trying to defend that is ridiculous. Actually, but... I could tell you this now, um, Rob, because I'm Muslim, yeah? Okay. And um, I've seen these Indonesian videos, yeah? And some of the stuff is borderline blasphemy. Do you understand? For sure. Like, it's literally sure. like, what, what they use, is, is there's a specific term for it, and it's like, you're innovating to a level where it almost takes you outside the fold of that religion, if you're, if you're not quite, uh, does that make sense? So using, uh, uh, using religion in a way which, like you said, creating cults and not, not uh, and it's, it's, it's bad. I mean, it happens, like I said, it happens in religion, it happens in martial arts. Like these two- It happens everywhere. Everywhere, you know, the exactly. Root, the root word of culture is cult. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at any culture, it's made up of a lot of cults. That's it, Now, exactly. um, the, the way that they manipulate it is things like Tanaga Dalam, which is like means inner power, um, or Debus, which is like uh, not being harmed when you're trying to self-mutilate. So they'll take things like uh, razor blades and obviously they're not getting cut because it's not a real razor blade. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I've seen some really sick stuff come out of there because of that. Like uh, I saw an eight-year-old child slit his throat because he believed, yeah, he believed he couldn't be killed because of Tanaga Delon. He believed that he had this inner power because the adults are lying to him. And when he picked up the, the machete to, to do it, the adults are not using a sharp machete. But he didn't know that because he's an eight-year-old boy and just spilled out and died. Um, another video... How'd, you, which get, how'd you get across the... Uh, uh, this is another thing I was going to ask you. Like, obviously, you're not sitting there all day scrolling the internet. Like, how, how'd you get all this information? And how'd you... Did, did yeah. people send it to you? Or you got investigate? You investigate? Or how does it... Uh, obviously, you don't have to tell me. Obviously, you've got to keep a little bit to yourself, innit? But... No, um, no, no. I work hard at what I do, man. Yeah. So, like... It's for lack of better words for people to understand what I do is basically investigative journalism. Right. So in order for me to call people out as a fraud or as a con artist, I have to prove it. 
if I can't prove it and I put it online and I ruin someone's life, I could be sued for that. Yeah. Well, in the last decade of doing this, 10 years of doing this, I have not been sued yet. You want to know why? Because I have proof of absolutely everything I'm saying. And so when I start like calling out things like the Indonesian frauds, right? Obviously much harder for them to sue me. But when you start researching, it's not hard to fall down a rabbit hole and learn. So like Tanaga Dalam, Debus, uh, Ilmu Laduni, um, all that crazy things that they believe, or some of them believe anyway, in those martial arts cults, that's stuff that you can just research. But I do now have a larger audience. So I have people all over the world who were sending me things from their particular areas, and I have to kind of decode and decipher what those things really are. And so that requires a lot of research. I usually work about 15 hours a day, wow. um, but that's because I absolutely love my job and love what I do. So like I usually get started, I usually get up about 5, 30, 6 o'clock, and then I usually don't end until like 9 at night, wow. um, not longer. And, and, you know, obviously I still have other things I have to do, but I consider training a part of my job, like going to take classes a part of my job. That's research. I have to make sure that I know my stuff. I have to be good enough to be able to say like that's dog shit. Like, how do I know? Because I've had a grown man choke the shit out of me for the last two hours. And I can tell you, if I would have tried that, I still would have been getting choked. Or let's try that. Oh, still getting choked. Doesn't work. You know, like <laughs> trial and error is everything. But I'm fortunate that now I have more of a movement. And yeah. it was never supposed to be about me. It's still not supposed to be about me. It's supposed to be about calling out frauds. And because of that now, I have so many people who back that that they send me stuff and that lets me research. And then after that, I'm able to post. Okay, so this is a really good ch uh, point to start delving a little bit into like your, your how, when did you start martial arts? How did you get involved? You said 25 years. How, how old, are you allowed to give your age out? Uh, you know what, let's not do that. No, I'm 37, dude. I'm, I oh, just had a birthday. Oh, I'm, happy I'm birthday. Old. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 38, so we're about 80, you're 85, right? Yeah, 85, yeah. April, April okay. 12th. Awesome, man. Yeah, so similar age. So I'm guessing you started in the 90s, early 90s. I started when I was 12. 12, okay. Um, so that would have been yeah. 95, right? Uh, no, no, 98, 98, 99, something like that. I guess. I'm something. terrible at Who cares? track of that. But I, was, <laughs> I know I was 12 because okay. of how I started. Oh, how, um, how, did it, was, how did you like decide? Did your mom put you in or your dad or was it yourself? Or how did it, and what martial art did you start? Well, I started in karate. Um, it was a freestyle karate, so it's a little bit more like a Joe Lewis, Benny the Jet, Urquidez, Bill Wallace type karate. Yep. So not really like there was no katas. We never worked on katas ever. It was basically like a different version of kickboxing. Almost everything that we did was geared towards application, not right. about like kicking and punching the air. Um, but I started when I was 12. I was getting abused at school, uh, bullied. I, I hate the word bullying because bullying is such a stupid word. Um, <laughs> It, it is it's a stupid word. Like if somebody hits you, right, and abuses you, that's assault and battery, Yeah, yeah. right? Why would you call it bullying? There are laws against assault and battery. There's no law against bullying. Yeah. Like if someone's stalking you, there are laws against that. Why would you call it bullying? Now you've made it, turned it into something that you can't actually have repercussions for. So I just, I hate the term, but I was bullied as a kid. And then uh, it came to a head when I was in school. Um, I was sitting down in gym class. There was a group of kids there. And one hit me with what's called like a bee stinger. I don't know if you guys had that over there or not, but basically what it is, is if you take a piece of paper yeah. and you fold it up enough, 
um, you can kind of make the paper really hard. Yeah. And then if you make it into like a little V shape. It kind of looks like that. Yeah. And you put it into a rubber band and you could snap it at people. Oh, and yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. Like welts and stuff. And so I got hit with one in the back out of nowhere. And I turned around out of instinct and I was like, don't do that again. And I didn't have any real friends in school. I had like two friends in school. Like I had scars on my face. I was born with a cleft lip and palate. So I was picked on a lot. Um, constantly had bandages on my face from surgery. So it was a rough time in school. And so after I did that, those kids, like three, actually, sorry, there were six kids that stood up and they sat by me and surrounded me. And then they were like, what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, well, that's kind of a move there like one guy hit me that you need sticks to you guys to pick on me like um, and then i told him the truth i was like well whoever hits me i guess i gotta hit you back like that's just the truth and they were like okay well you can show us after this class and i was like man and then the bell rang i went outside and they commenced to beating my ass they did it for five minutes straight they beat me from the time the bell rang which was class to be over until the next bell rang which is a five minute gap and anyone who's been in a fight for five minutes knows it sucks but if you've ever been jumped for five minutes, it sucks even more. Yeah. Um, so I'm on the ground. I'm getting kicked in the face. Like my glasses I had at the time broke and cut my face. Um, I got stabbed with a pencil. Um, some kid tried to stab me with a pencil. I put my hand up and I still have like lead in my finger or at least the uh, remnants, the, the scar. Um, it's still like, you know, pencil colored. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I'm laying there. And while I'm getting beat on, the worst part was I remember laying there, like just trying to see because it's just like constantly getting hit. And I remember two teachers standing there and watching the whole thing, and they did nothing about it. What? They didn't stop it at all. Um, I don't know why, but they just didn't. And I was just laying there like, what the f***, man? Like, isn't this where you step in? And then so I'm laying there getting beat on, and uh, the the second bell rang. And then after the second bell rang, they all just scattered like roaches because I guess they knew they had to be in class. Um, And so they didn't want to get caught, so they all hurried up to get to class. Did you know these kids? Huh? Did you know these kids? Were they like in your sc- like in your class or just? Yeah, they were. They were just kids in class. So, you... yeah. What assholes, man? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> like it sucked, and so like, but that happened a lot in school for me. I was constantly getting picked on and bullied, and always in fights, and it was always self defense. I I didn't want to be noticed. I was trying to like make it through school with my head down. Yeah. Um, but maybe that was my problem. I don't know. But um, while I'm laying there bleeding, the teachers still were just standing there. They did nothing. Um, a friend, uh, an acquaintance at the time who since has become my best friend, closest friend. Um, he, he was a fat guy, but he was like, he was late to class. He was always late to everything. Thanks. So he like shows up late to class and I can see him in the distance, even though I can't really see well, but I just knew his shape and I knew who he was. And he walked over and he picked me up and he starts walking me to the nurse's office. And, uh, as we're walking, he, uh, pulls a card out and he hands it to me and he said, you need this. And it was a card, like a free trial karate class card. And he was somebody who had been training martial arts for a long time since he was a really little kid. And um, he handed me that card. And, you know, that most classes or schools have some type of a reward program for other people to sign up at your school. And that was one. And so I, I grabbed it and I put it in my pocket. And Can I ask you night, a question? Yeah, Rob, sorry to interrupt you. Was it Cobra Kai's or was it uh, Miyagi-Do? Man, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> like, it was... Uh, it was what I needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this is a plot to a movie, man. I can see it already. I can see it. <laughs> well, it's just my life, but um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So so you got the the leaflet because I you know what's funny? I I had a similar. I didn't get um, uh, beat up, but I got a leaflet. I, I did karate as well, uh, Shotokan. Uh-huh. 
And uh, similar thing, I, I had uh, my dad goes like, you're too shy, whatever. He was in uh, the local market, got a leaflet, put it in my pocket, didn't didn't think of it. And then, you know, the rest is history. But Karen, so when you got the, so let me just ask a quick question, you know. Um, so the kids have left, your friends picked you up. Yeah, you walk into the nurse's office. What was going through your head at the time? Um, I was in a lot of pain. <laughs> I, just got, I just got the living shit beat out of me. I mean, I was bleeding all over the place. I mean, I was laying on the concrete when they were stomping me out. So I had blood everywhere. Wow. Um, and it was, it was very rough. I mean, I was very swollen. Um, and, you know, I already have like scars on my face and I already had like issues with that. So like my face would swell, it swole so bad. And so I'm like walking to the, uh, the nurse's office and he said, you need this. Um, they patched me up, called my mom, mom picks me up and me and my mom had a long conversation. And the first thing I said, when uh, I got in the car with my mom, I said, I want to do this. And I handed her the card. And uh, my mom is very direct. She's a very blunt woman. It's either yes or no. Um, and this time she said, maybe, which is funny because like I had asked her to do like every other sport. I said, can I do baseball? I needed an outlet. Yeah. Um, I needed something to feel like I belonged because I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. And so I couldn't do basket basketball because she was worried I'd get hit in the face and have to go through surgeries again. I couldn't do football. She was worried I'd have to go through surgeries again. So everything was trying to protect me. But then I guess she realized that by trying to overprotect me, that she was actually hurting me. She just didn't know it. And that's not her fault, but you know, it's one of those things where that moment, I guess she realized it was something I, I really wanted. And so she wound up that next month was when my birthday was, and she wound up paying in full for a year's worth of martial arts classes. And so I had my very first class ever on my birthday. So now whenever I celebrate my, my birthday, um, I celebrate how long I've been in the martial arts industry. That's awesome, man. Um, so it was cry. What, uh, explain to me what your first lesson was like when you walked into the dojo. Um, I don't, I don't, my first lesson, I can tell you exactly what I learned, but I remember my second lesson way better. Okay. Um, my first lesson that my actual martial arts instructor was out. So like my, my sensei, my yeah. instructor wasn't there that day. So my first lesson uh, was from a guy named Dan Benitez and he was a black belt at the facility and he taught us like shooto chops, like which weren't a part of the curriculum. Uh, I never learned him again, never did him since then. Um, it, this. it was like, well, it was, no, it was more like if somebody grabs your shirt and it's like, oh, okay, I see. chop the collar. Right. And I was like, well, all right. And at the, at the time I was like all about it. But then later on, I was like, eh, not really my thing. <laughs> but my second class, and I fell in love with it immediately. Like what I remember is walking in and just how accepting everyone was of everyone. Yeah. It didn't matter what race you were, what your religion was, what your political views were. It didn't matter if you were tall, short, fat, skinny. No one gives a during that time on the mat. Mm. It, 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 martial arts for me is the most honest moment you could have with yourself and another human being. You cannot lie when you fight someone. As a matter of fact, fighting is the most honest thing you'll do in your entire life. What happens whenever you get into an argument with a spouse? They don't pull out lies. They pull out the truth they didn't tell you before. Mm. Oh yeah, well you said <laughs> this, and you did this, and you did that. Those are the truth. They're yep. just storing up the truth. And so it's a beautiful thing that I think should be preserved, that martial arts should be kept legitimate, that we should not have these people bringing in lies and fraudulent activities into something that's so beautiful and pure that you can have with yourself and another person. 
I mean, it's one of the most all-inclusive moments you should have. Yeah. Like, knowing, if you're talking about politics on the mat, you're not training. If you're talking about <laughs> your religious beliefs, you're not training. Yeah. People don't want to hear that. People don't care. It's This is a moment you can just be. You don't have to be anything. You don't have to be a part of a side or this community or that. You just exist in this moment. It's beautiful. And I experienced that when I first walked on the mat. It was my very first class. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I was living something that was honest and I was being accepted. And I always feel that way whenever I walk onto the mat. I just feel like this is a moment where we can just be here, you know, and it's, I think it's needed. I think people need it in their life. That's awesome, man. And I'm guessing you you carried on. the, the How long did you carry on karate before you, you, you picked up another martial art? It was years, man. It was a long time. Like I, I, you know, I worked my way up. I was a kid, so I was 12. I worked my way up and to becoming an assistant instructor. So I helped with classes around 16, um, 17. Um, I became kind of like a full-time instructor, which that was because my instructor at the time, which I should have never been, but my instructor at the time was like kind of over martial arts. And uh, he would just like be like, all right, well, you're ready to teach. And I was having to teach like grown men like in their thirties and forties, like <laughs> kickboxing at like 17. Um, but I was competing since I was 12. So like I was game, I was yeah. ready. I was a big kid. Like I was like, I think at the time I was like five eleven and at 17. And then I was, uh, you know, I was kind of skinny, but I was fighting all the time. So I was game. Um, so anytime I teach a class and someone was disrespectful at the time, I don't do this anymore. Um, I've grown as an instructor, but I'd be like, all right, guys, go and put the gloves on. And I would just have to beat the shit out of that person. <laughs> like, you don't want to listen to a 17-year-old kid? All right, cool. All right, clubs. Um, but I, I grew up in a little bit more of a rough-nosed school. Um, but yeah, like man, my, my second class was absolutely insane because I walked in on a dojo storm that I wasn't aware was happening. What's a dojo storm, man? A dojo storm is when a, a rival martial arts school shows up to your martial arts school. <laughs> I love that, man. So I showed up. Bring back like, dojo storms, man. <laughs> Bring them back. <laughs> I'm like, and you know, this is my second class ever. So like I'm a 12 year old kid and I've only taken one class and I show up and I'm sitting down and I'm waiting. And like when I came in, it, like the atmosphere was different. So like everybody was there, was there a little earlier. It was like packed, but it was all like adults because right. I was a kid. And so because I was such a big kid for my age, um, there was like, um, a lot of I was only doing the adult classes because I was too big for the kids classes so I had to start in adult classes so I showed up for the class and normally there were other teenagers there but there was none that night and like all these adults are like wrapping their hands and like <laughs> the music is like bumping and then like they're uh they're mean mugging like they're like you can tell like there's you can feel it like there's something yeah. tense going on. and yeah. I'm like sitting on a bench like all skinny like looking around like I'm ready for class um, and then like some, one of the instructors walked up to me and goes, Oh, Hey, we wanted to let you know, we're sorry. We didn't let you know beforehand, but classes are canceled tonight. I go, well, all these people are here. They go, yeah, but there's a special event going on. That's how they put it to me. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I was like, well, since I'm here, my mom's not going to be back for an hour. Can I just sit and watch? And they were like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and so like, what I didn't know was my instructor at the time had met a Wing Chun instructor at a martial arts tournament. Right. And they were like kind of moving around playfully and that playful movement became like an actual like real tense situation. And then my instructor was like, oh, yeah, well, if you think your guys are that good, bring them over to our studio. And the guy agreed. And so like 
the the Wing Chun school like came in like a drove, like a whole bunch of people showed up, and I'm like sitting down, like looking around, like I have no clue what's going on, and they just committed to beat the living shit at each other for an entire hour, like there's like fist of fury. Like Fist yeah. of Fury, isn't it? Uh, it was but... <laughs> absolutely insane. And so this is my second class. I'm looking around going, okay, well, this is cool. And it didn't deter me, but it like showed me a different side of this. Like, you know, this can be very egotistical. It can mm. be very full of bravado and egos. And it's not healthy when people do that. Like, if you really want to like fight another human being, there are outlets for that. Mm. There's the cage, there's the ring, there's the mat. Doing that in your facility it's not smart like it's really not who are you impressing like if you already know you could beat this person up challenge him to a fight go to an organization have it sanctioned you know like imagine being like the new guy like myself who like just shows up to your class and i see my instructor who i might be looking up to at the time as a mentor just being utterly violent and rude to another human being like that doesn't make me look up to you so what was like, it like so apart from the fighting so how do i was it set up was it like was that everyone standing and it was, was and it, everyone's in the uh, the fighters are in the middle and everyone like you know that bare knuckle boxing match or was it what was it no, like? Everybody had gloves on. Everybody had gear. Like yeah. you know, it wasn't like bare knuckle. Like everybody, all basically, what was happening is it was very similar to like how an open mat would be. So right. everybody kind of paired off. Oh, it was simultaneous. They, it was simultaneous. Yeah. Like, not like one yeah, fight. Big mat, big gym. Oh, so everyone was fighting. Like there was like lots of fights going on at the same time. Yeah, everybody, everybody oh, who had a partner. Right. And they were just getting at it. So the Wing Chun guys with their sashes and everything and uh Yeah, well and the Kung some Fu. did, some didn't. Like it wasn't like they were like I'm like this. No, some were, some weren't. Like okay. there was a couple guys who were like pretty good and you know, like that particular Wing Chun school was like a I don't remember the name of it, but they would like compete in like events and stuff like that. So they weren't like not okay at least, but um, and I don't, you know, sometimes they get the better of some of our guys and some of our okay. guys got the better of theirs. It's just how it works. Um, there was no like clear winner. It was just basically people trying to ego, like put their ego on the table and saying like, we're better than you. Yeah. Like that doesn't do anything good for you. It's not beneficial because who cares? And also what's the, the rule day, set as well, Rob? They, like if a kind kickboxing. Of... Oh, kickboxing rule set. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. So it was, it was just cool. Like. You know, like I, I, at that time, I was just trying to learn as much as I could. So like, I was just watching, like, I was like, I hope I don't have to fight like that. Like I was confused because they were hitting, like hitting each other. And I was like, man, like, I'm glad that's not me. <laughs> no, I'm at it. I'm glad I'm sitting this one out. <laughs> so that's, do you know what? I mean, I know you said it's it's not a, I kind of like that one. I kind of like that whole, I don't, I don't think it's right. I don't <laughs> think it's, it's, it's a place for it, but I, I, I like the idea of, you know, you guys show up at the gym. It's just a bit 80s, isn't it? A bit kind of, okay. a bit, a bit, you know, martial arts film, old school, because, you know... Oh, it, dude, it's, it's very Miyamoto Musashi traveling it. from town to town. Exactly, like, yeah. You know, which yeah, everybody has their own thing, man. I'm not going to down anybody for, you know, <laughs> as long as, you, you know, you learn how to fight in a gym. It yeah. is what it is. Yeah. And so it does become violent at times, but I wish people would leave their egos out of it. Like if somebody, like now, as I've been doing martial arts business consulting for like a decade, and so how I make most of my money in this industry is teaching people how to make money. Yeah. And I tell people all the time, if somebody walks into your gym and challenges you, point them to the nearest promoter. Be like, okay, well, you know what? There's a tournament coming up. You're more than welcome to, we'll see you there. <laughs> we'll be at this jiu-jitsu tournament. You're more than welcome. We'll see you there. Have a nice day. And if they can call you every name in the book, who gives a shit? At least I don't have a lawsuit. Yeah. Like you, like there's a, there's a story 
And if anybody wants to look this up, it's absolutely insane. But it's a story about a guy named Bobby Joe Blythe uh, or Billy Joe Blythe. I'm pretty sure it's Bobby Joe Blythe. But anyway, so Bobby Joe Blythe had this basically crazy homeless person come into his dojo and challenge him, which he didn't challenge him. And he recorded the entire thing. And he literally beat that guy so bad that that is considered probably a murder because no one knows what happened to the guy afterwards. And they filmed it and they put absolutely everything. Oh, there you go. Bobby Joe Blythe. Yeah. They filmed the entire thing and he posted it on the internet and he was proud of it. Did he get charged? uh, I know because no one can prove what happened to the guy afterwards. No one knows if he died. No one knows if he didn't. It's clearly assault, but it's absolutely insane. He videoed the entire thing and you can see one of his students fighting him. And once the guy says, Hey, I'm done. The guy continues to go to the point where the guy's laying on the ground and he's stomping on his head so much that it leaves a trail of blood. After the guy's unconscious on the floor, he tells his students to drag the body outside. It's all on tape and he posted it and he thinks it's a good thing. He was proud of it, like he's some kind of badass. And so that's where I don't understand this dojo storm mentality is like, who are you trying to prove it to? Because at the end of the day, the only person you're trying to prove to that if you're tough or not is yourself. You're not fooling anyone else. Like beating up a random homeless person like that or yeah, beating up someone right. you know you can beat, that doesn't make you a man. That makes you a bit, well, I don't know how much I can trust on here, but. Uh, Keep it to a minimum, but yeah. <laughs> all right, well, that makes you a big man, all right? I'll, I'll use the medical term. So um, talk to me about your travels, man. Did you, have, did you, come, did you come to London? I did. My first death threat was in uh, London. (laughs) Yeah, my first death threat over there. It was like, well, not my first one, but my first one that I took seriously. Whereabouts uh, was it? Would you remember? uh, So there is a YMCA in London. It's a giant YMCA. It's a really big one. Yeah. Um, And there was a Taekwondo tournament going on in there because they have like a gymnasium. And it's like a really nice YMCA. I was like, It was in in near King's Cross, right? I think so. It's a big, big facility. Yeah, I had uh, never been in a YMCA that big before. And YMCAs are pretty big. And so I was over there. I got hired for a nunchuck seminar. And so I was like, oh, this is cool. They're going to fly me out. They're going to pay me. I was like, this is going to be awesome. So if I'm going to go over there, that flight is brutal. From like the East Coast to London is like a yeah. flight. Is it, a fl- so is, like, it, is it one way? Uh, not one way. Is it um, one flight? There's no stop. No, I had to make a stop. I don't remember where. I think it might have been in... Scotland or something like that. Okay, like, right. But I had to make a stop before. Right. But um, I wind up getting there, and I was there for two weeks because I wanted to like stay and you know enjoy because yeah. I'd never been to London. So I'm hanging out, and then the Taekwondo place that I was doing the seminar for, they were like, "Hey, we have a tournament coming up." It was the weekend I was going to leave. Um, they were like, and so I was like, "Yeah, sure, I could do that." So I went to the tournament, and this is giant ymca and i'm sitting in the stands and everybody's doing their thing and it's like any other tournament right it's busy there's a lot of bodies and i start checking my inbox on my instagram and as i'm flipping through i got a random message at that moment and that message came from a profile that had no profile picture oh they didn't follow anybody they had no posts and no one followed them so it was clearly a spam account and all they wrote was what i was wearing that was it and I'm like sitting there, I'm like, that's weird. And I'm like, there are <laughs> thousands of people. Yeah, there are thousands of people around. And so I was like, there's no way I'm going to know who this person is. So I start writing because sometimes this happens, I, which is weird as shit. So if you ever see me in public, I will talk to you. So don't like take a freaking weird picture of me and then post it and tag me. Like I'm going to think you're a stalker. Um, just talk to me. 
And so like, which I, I've had happen. So I thought it was one of those deals where it was like somebody shy, didn't want to talk to me. And so I was like, oh man, you know, you can just come over. We can chit chat and you know, whatever. Cause I didn't take it as a threat. I just thought it was weird. So how long, and, sorry, how long into your McDojo career were you in? How long? Uh, I think this was like five years ago. Okay. So, so you were in full swing then? Yeah, for sure. Okay. I was doing, okay. I was doing okay. I'm not, I'm doing obviously much better now, but yeah. I was doing okay. And so I'm sitting down and I, I write them back and I let them know they can come talk to me. Um, because it wasn't a threat. It was just weird. Yeah. And then they start typing out a message about a martial arts instructor who I had his school closed down twice. So he was in the a martial UK. Arts, well, he started off in the United States and then he had a different name at his martial arts facility than his real name. And so he was going under this alias. So he, I guess he wouldn't get caught, but he was actually somebody who was a sex offender and he like moved and he was trying to like get away with teaching martial arts classes. And somebody sent me like a link to his like his uh, information about being a sex offender and the picture was the guy mm. like i'm like this is exactly the guy so like i i looked i researched i made sure it was the guy and then i got confirmation after i got confirmation i posted that story up on my facebook so when i posted the story up on facebook i had all of my followers at the time go to his facebook and his google reviews and one start and link the article about that guy being a sex offender so his school closed down like quick um it was only like a month after that that his stuff just disappeared off the map so i was like good one for the good guys then a couple years later sitting there somebody sent me another message they were like hey isn't this this guy that you like called out for being a molester like years ago and it was the same guy but he moved over to london and somehow was able to open up a school i don't know how he did it i know things are much different over there i know the laws and regulations are different but he did it and i was like holy shit i was like that's the guy but if, so if he was him, um if he was a registered sex offender in the u.s how did he even get a visa to come into the uk that's a mad that's mad dude yeah you can you can get away with a lot of things man like where there's a will there's a way <laughs> you know, like where there's a will there's a way i promise you if you can you, and like the thing about the u.s as well and something to keep in mind is you're not always on a sex offender uh, registry for life Sometimes right. you're only on a registry for X amount of time. So my assumption, again, I don't know how he did it. I wish I did. It would help my job. Yeah. But my assumption is, is that that probably ran out. Like he got put taken off the registry. And so then he was probably able to move around a little bit easier. Um, and then this was years after I had already called him out. So chances are good. He was probably off the list. But I wind up calling that school out. I was like, this is the same guy. I was like, that's the same exact. So, and again, followers now go in. Next thing you know, I don't hear anything about the school. So I assumed it closed. Well, the guy who messaged me at that tournament, he was sending me a message about how that guy had changed his life. And that guy was never a sex offender. He was a great man. I was like, dude, the reason I've never been sued is I do a lot of research. I don't want to call out somebody who, who was not done something of course. wrong, yeah, yeah, but he yeah. did. And I caught him. And if he would have been that bad about it, he could have sued me. And if I was wrong, I would have lost, but he didn't. So that's telling. And so at the end of the day, the guy was like, you know, going in on me and he was like arguing with me about how I was a terrible person for what I did to that guy's school. And I was like, you're defending a pedophile. Like you're a terrible what, human. Do you reckon being. it was that guy was him? I don't know. Maybe it was, <laughs> but the way the way he was talking made it sound like he wasn't. Oh, okay. Well, um, so you know, a lot of times I get confronted by the students more than I get confronted by the cult leader. Right. So like, 
the students, that's their like religion to them. That's their like, that's their idol. And if you start talking bad about the idol, they'll just go in on you. Yeah. Um, and so, but in the message, which I took with a grain of salt, because I don't believe that he had one, but it's possible. But he said that when I left that particular facility that he was going to shoot me. They ain't shooting and no one, like, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, in London. <laughs> yeah. But, but this was the threat. So like, yeah, you got to take everything serious, did it? Yeah. 100%, exactly. So yeah. like at the end of the day, like maybe he doesn't shoot me, but maybe he stabs me. Maybe he doesn't yeah, shoot me. Maybe yeah. he hits me with his car. He damn yeah. sure knew I was there and he yeah. damn sure knew something that pissed him off. So like, and then I'm not going to lie. Like you must've been shook. I went over, when yeah. I went over to London, I'm like, Pretty sure I could have got a gun over there. I'm not. No, lying. you can't. Like, no, no, I'm not gonna lie to you. You can't get a gun. Yeah, it's yeah. not like we live in East London. There's guns all over the place. Like I say, all over the place. It's not like America. You can't go to. You can get a gun. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But you need to be connected to get a gun. Does that make yeah. sense? You need like, to be in a specific yeah, circle. Sure. To, to, yeah, I, but when someone threatens to shoot me, I don't give a shit where we are. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm gonna take you seriously. Yeah, hundred percent. So I like at the time, again, like I said, I was like, it's weird that he said that, but I'm not going to sit there and say that it's not (laughs) possible. No, no. I was like, and I don't know where this dude is. I don't know who he is. I don't know what's going on. So like, luckily there was like two off duty police officers there at the tournament, just helping out. So I walked down um, and I talked to him and I was like, Hey, this is happening. And they were like, well, there's nothing we can really do about it. They said, but what we can do is we can walk you out to your car whenever you're done. And so they did and nothing ever happened, but it was, it was the thought of having somebody who knew I existed in a room with me. I couldn't yeah. spot who wanted to harm me, but was too coward enough to confront me, but willing to threaten me and could have possibly followed through with a threat. And I would have never seen it coming. Like, I don't care how much martial arts, you know, nah. like you can get hit. Like if you don't know something's coming and you just going to get hit. Unless and you so, got that Dimmock stuff I, that, yeah. Was it not Dimmock? What's that Indonesian thing that it took? <laughs> That's That's it, man. Exactly. Uh, Uh, So, uh, Rob, you know what? You remind me of a story, actually. Um, I used to run a summer program in in London. And um, so I was part of this charity that we'd... Because during the summer, there'd be a lot of crime. The crime would go up, especially in inner city. um, And there were kids, you know, like setting fires to bins, from from setting fires to bins to knife crime, you know, and 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 so we used to, I used to work with a charity, um, and we used to run courses basically, and 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 uh, I say courses, more like uh, um, activities. So what we would do is we would kind of a month beforehand, we'd advertise. So we'd say, look, we're looking for tutors to um, do a um, like just. Proposed to us what so we'd, we'd some guys were like uh, oh we're Thai fruit carving or uh, uh, football coaching or so they'd, they'd, they'd give us the um, the the what's it called the the proposal we read through it and then we kind of okay it so and it was another colleague of mine that was rubber stamping all the stuff so my job was to go around and do some, um, quality assurance so to make sure that everyone's cool so they would interview everyone they would book them in so. Then there was like I saw on the on the schedule on that day I was due to see because that summer um, I don't know if you ever got do you remember do you, do you ever hear about London the London riots in America yeah 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 for sure uh, if it was, I think it was twenty eleven was it twenty eleven Zach yeah twenty eleven so I think twenty twelve there was a lot of money being pushed in to kind of like you know. Uh, 
remedy the situation. So this guy decided to do, I don't know how the hell he got through the, the radar, yeah? But he decided to do a, a knife uh, defense seminar. And for me, for me, that was a red flag already, the, the title, yeah? So I looked at it and I was like, I said to my colleague, I said, you booked this guy? She was like, yeah. I go, did you read the thing? Did you read the title? Knife Defense Seminar. I go, let me explain something. If someone pulls out a knife, you run away. That's 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 it. You know, there's not enough time to teach someone. It was a one. It was it was a one hour course. What are you gonna teach someone in one hour? Yeah, it's like if if anything. So anyway, so I thought let me let me go and let me go and um, let me go and supervise. So I've got I've gone in. I've walked there in the middle of the class. Yeah. So the first red flag, he had fingerless gloves on. You know the type, yeah. Like Dale Brown, huh? Like Dale Brown, exactly like Dale Brown. Actually, <laughs> I, I think he got. I think Dale Brown was. Uh, he was Dale Brown's teacher, man. So, <laughs> so, so the, so, so he's talking to them, and then so he goes, right. If someone, if you're on the floor and someone's got a knife and he's stabbing you, and what you do is you you make yourself like this, and then you you kind of roll like a kebab, you know, like a gyro. Like I think you guys call it a gyro, right? I got it. Yeah. So it goes, you roll around one side to the other so they miss. I was like, I was looking at him. I was thinking, these kids are going to get killed, man. And uh, and they're so, because they're, they're uh, between the age of eight to about 13. Yeah? yeah. And he. Very impressionable. Very impressionable. And for him, he, I could see. And as soon as he saw me, like he was like, Oh, because he didn't realize I was there. So I was, I was uh, the way where the door was, you couldn't see me. So I walked in and then after I was like, I, walk, I walked up to him and was like, what are you doing? <laughs> he goes to me, I go to, where, where did you learn all this? Uh-huh. Uh, and then he was like, oh no, I learned in Vietnam. I said, Vietnam? Where in Vietnam did you learn this, man? I go, what's it called? And he was just like, I said to him, listen, you're going to get these kids killed because where they... These kids grow up in 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 estates and uh, the projects, basically. Yeah, like they they if they if they're on this course, that means that either something's they've seen something or does that make sense? They're more likely to have. Yeah, um, for sure. So you're gonna they're, kill these uh, kids. High risk. Yeah, they're, they're high, high risk. risk. Thank you very much. So um, and not too long after, Rob, I kid you not, it must have been the algorithms. Yeah, <laughs> McDojo life came up. <laughs> I think it must have been like that week and I can't remember which video I watched but I remember thinking is someone listening to me or something or is uh um but um and I was like this guy I remember watching it uh, watching the um, coming across your your page and I'm thinking we need something here we, these guys need to be exposed because first you're in a position of power mm. like Power of information, power, whatever. Do you remember the Jim uh, Jim Carrey sketch? Yeah, for sure. You stabbed me wrong. That's the one. Ah. That's the one. Ah. <laughs> I moved my <laughs> organs. <laughs> that was spot on, man. Um, <laughs> I actually remember this um, uh, when we did Shotokan, and I hopefully, I love karate. It was my first love because from karate kid, we know from that generation, the karate kid generation, right? We sure. kind of just got Bruce Lee and then it was like more karate getting them Van Damme and all that stuff. So I remember we used to, they, uh, I hated Kata. That's why I used to love Superfoot Wallace. Yeah. I used to watch it. I was like, why can't we have something like this, man? Um, so I remember, 
Uh? I have a story about him. The first time I met him, I have a story. So whenever you- uh, Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll finish up quick. Yeah, but, but basically <laughs> I remember the first time I called BS. First time as a kid, yeah. Um, so we, they used to do, so there was, I don't know if you're familiar with kata. I mean, you must be, but- um, Yeah, for sure. So there was a kata called Basai Dai. It called Storm in the Castle, yeah? So mm -hmm. I used to hate it, man. If I find it, it was more like art than, than you know, self-defense or like, you know, fighting. Um, so there was one move where you, you kind of like, you start this way and then you go, and there was one where you, you kind of, you go like this and then you grab something and then you go like that, yeah? Mm -hmm. So in my child's brain, yeah, I'm thinking you're ripping out the genitals, yeah? That's what I thought. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. sense. Exactly, exactly. Like, have you seen Kung Pao? Like that. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, you punched the hole through that guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking, yeah, you're ripping someone. I mean, like, now we know it's it, it kind of impossible over trousers, yeah? And no one's going to be walking around without no trousers on, bro. Yeah, <laughs> was, yeah, this is the one. Uh, so, um, so anyway, like, so then he started explaining, explaining what you're supposed to do. So what, what that move was. Uh -huh. So it was like grabbing the inside now because I do jiu-jitsu, you do jiu-jitsu, right? Yeah. Um, now I'm looking back at it, it makes no sense. Um, but you grab the inside of the gi. So imagine you're sitting in horse riding position and someone grabs the inside of your thigh just below your, your genitals, yeah? Uh -huh. And then you pull this way and they fall. I was like, as a kid thinking, how are you going to fall like that? I don't understand. Yeah, the hard part about kata in general yeah. is, and the only thing that really makes it hard to swallow for a lot of people is bunkai. And for anybody who doesn't know, bunkai, bunkai means yeah. application. Yeah. And so the, the bunkai of a, a kata changes from almost every instructor you take a, That's a so class true. from. Yeah. So like, the thing is, is that kata is nothing more than doing technique in the air. That's literally all it is. You're just doing techniques in the air without a partner. Mm. Shadow boxing is doing techniques in the air without a partner. They are literally the same thing. The only difference is, is that the bunkai is what changes things. So like if you're shadow boxing, a jab, a cross, a hook, everyone knows what those things are for. There is no misinterpretation of technique. Yeah. That's a jab. That's what it's meant for. That's a cross. That's a knee. That's a kick. All of that's very easy to understand. Kata, when it comes to, to the bunkai anyway, is what really deludes kata is because there is no universal standard for body mechanics. And so when people are doing kata, people make up the stupidest things all day long. That doesn't mean that that particular movement isn't applicable. Mm. It just means that it might not be realistic for what they are saying that it is. Like I saw one that's like, this is an outside block, Yeah. right? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, try sparring. That shit ain't gonna work. <laughs> yeah. But then I saw one that I was like, that makes a lot of sense, which was like an arm wrench. So like you have an overhook on somebody uh, and you jerk your arm and next thing you know, now you're kind of putting them into like an Americana position where it hurts their shoulder. So like bunkai matters. Like this person's saying something that may actually work and this person's talking out their ass, but it's the same movement. So it's weird. Kata's I think, basically just out of boxing. I think definitely, you know, Machida, Machida uh, restored faith in Shotokan for me. Um, oh, legit! Big I mean, he drinks his own pee, which is weird. Yes, that's I mean. weird. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But like when I when I saw him in the UFC and how he actually applied Shotokan, like the front the Mike Getty, the you know the bobbing in and out, the the sidestepping, the kicking, 
I was like, okay, that's how that's how you place. It's in the application, you know. Um, but oh my god, yeah, yeah, we could tell me a super football is uh, I love a super football is story, man. Yeah, for sure. So I first met Bill Superfoot Wallace when I was like 18. So I was like a senior in high school and I had a little bit more freedom, but I used to dress like really gothic. Um, so like I would wear like really gothic looking clothing. That was okay. just like the group that I could fit in with. So I, I used to like purposely wear solid colors all the way through, but never all black. And right. I did it on purpose because I, I thought it was funny. Like I'm hanging out with gothic kids. They're all wearing <laughs> black. I'm wearing all red. And so I had these like long Jinko type pants that were red and like an over shirt that was like one of those silky over shirts that would like button up, but I left it open and it had like a dragon on it and stuff. Oh. And I thought, it looked cool. and I had yeah. like red glasses, red tinted glasses and, you know, spiky hair. And, I, you know, I was, I, I was just a douche. Let's be honest. <laughs> so like I used to wear that stuff and like that was just how I expressed myself. And so I went to a thing that um, Frank Shamrock was hosting. So it was like an event where he was going to be uh, showing off his version of like MMA, which was like, I think he might've called it, he might've called it shoot box. If shoot I remember box, correctly. Yeah, shoot box, yeah. And so it was like the first time that I ever saw a ring that looks like the ring for karate combat, which was like flat in the middle, but and elevated the, on the sides yeah. and, and so I thought that was an interesting concept and he had specific rules and that was the inaugural night that he was doing it. And it, he pick, he piggybacked that on with like a, a, like a three day seminar that was going on for like some organization. And uh, Bill Superfoot Wallace happened to be one of the teachers there. And my instructor was teaching and a whole bunch of other people were doing seminars, including Frank Shamrock, by the way, which is one of the best seminars I've ever attended because he did an entire seminar about how to defend, actually attack people when they're on your back. Like everything that he did was about like, if someone takes your back, these are all these ways that you can attack someone from that position. And I thought it was dope. I learned all kinds of stuff. But anyway. So, so just remind me, Frank Shamrock is the Mexican one. He's the brother of Ken Shamrock. So Ken Shamrock, one second. They're adopted brothers, right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they're blood brothers. Like that. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Frank Shamrock. Yeah, yeah. Frank Shamrock. He looks, yeah, so he looks Mexican, man. I, maybe. I don't know. It, he just looks like a guy who's been hitting the head a lot. Yeah, he like does. Me. He does. He's a, he's a legend, though, man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He was he was dope, man. It was like one of my favorite seminars. He's an incredible instructor. I give him so much credit as a good instructor. Um, he was able to explain things simply. So I show up, and my instructor knows that I, like, really enjoy, like, Bill Wallace's style. Yeah. Like, I, I really did. I like the fact that he, you know, had to adapt because he had an issue with one of his legs, and he'd fight off of one side, and like I, I, a lot of people back in sport karate would imitate that. And so that was like an idol for me, like a legit kickboxer in karate. And so my instructor knew that and he goes, Hey man, do you want me to introduce you to Bill Wallace? Cause they were homies. I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So we walk up right before the seminar and I haven't changed yet. So like, again, I'm wearing this like really ridiculous gothic <laughs> outfit. And so Bill Wallace is super polite. He goes, oh, hey, what's up, man? They, they talked for a second like they were old buddies. And he, my instructor goes, hey, I want to introduce you to somebody. He goes, this is my student, Rob. Rob, this is Bill Wallace. And I go, oh, man, it's really nice to meet you. Like, I, I'm looking forward to your seminar. He goes, man, I'm looking forward to having you in my seminar. Man, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Can I talk to you for a second? And I was like, yeah, sure. So he puts <laughs> his hand on my shoulder. And as he puts his hand on my shoulder, he starts walking us away from the crowd because everybody over there was like getting warmed up and stretching and stuff. So it's a big auditorium type area. And he starts walking me away from the crowd and he lowered his voice a little bit. And he goes, hey, man, uh, 
can I ask you a question? And I go, yeah, sure. <laughs> he goes, why are you dressed like that? <laughs> and I go, well, this is just this is just how I like to dress. He goes, could you do me a favor? And I go, yeah, sure. Well, what is it? He goes, could you stop? You look like a faggot. And then he just walks away. This is the first time I've ever talked to this man in my life. First time ever. That is and hilarious. Like, <laughs> this is the first, like, first conversation I've ever had with this dude. And that's what he says to me. But he's one like, to talk, though. Have you seen his geese? <laughs> I bring up a picture of Superfoot Wallace's geese. But the guy wore a whole American flag as a geese. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I thought it was like, so. Did you two stop, things though? Happened. Did you stop, Two though? things happened. Huh? <laughs> Did you stop? What happened? I said. Uh, I stopped years later. Oh, okay. like, yeah, look at that. Look at that, Rob. Yeah. Come <laughs> like, on, man. Yeah, like, that red gi was, like, basically, like, what I was looking like. But I'm, I'm sorry, but he's a handsome guy, man. He's a um, handsome guy, bro. I got very fortunate because in that moment, I learned two things. Yeah, One, I knew Bill Wallace was going to always say what was on his mind. Yeah. He always would say it. And from then on, I knew who, who he was. Bill Wallace is who he is. He will never be a character for you. Yeah. And so I respected that. I respected it. I was like, he said what was on his mind. I didn't like that he called me a name, yeah, but yeah. I respected the fact that he said. And then after I took the seminar and like we did like, I think his seminar was two hours and we did like an hour and 30 minutes of stretching. Like wow. it was stretch, stretch, stretch. He showed us all kinds of ways to stretch because he had already had two hip replacement surgeries. And so a big thing for him was teaching martial artists how to make sure that you didn't have to go through that pain. Mm. And so he really put a lot of emphasis on how to stretch properly. And I learned a ton. And at the time he was pretty old, but he could still kick people in the head. Like it was nothing. It was really impressive. But I had like such more respect for the man after he said that and then put on like an amazing seminar. Cause I was like, Oh, this guy's going to be a, and then I got there and he wasn't, he was just like, he felt like he could joke and be buddy, buddy in that way and be himself. And I was like, that's cool. And ever since then, like anytime I see that he has a seminar in my area, I always go to see it. Like, it's still about. It, yeah, for sure. He's still out there. He's still teaching. He's actually going to be at the super show this year. What a G man. What a yeah. G. And where's the super, super show? What is that? Uh, it's a, a martial arts convention and it's in Las Vegas. They do it uh, once a year and it's like business seminars, martial arts seminars, and it's there to try to help the community grow and make sure that they're, they're getting better at, teaching or being able to sell the product or whatever it is so rob um do you know what i could talk to you for ages man rob i swear to god this every time i ask him a question he gives me another but when did you start jiu-jitsu man and why did you start so you've got you were like pretty deep into you know striking kickboxing karate martial arts. so when did when did the, the jiu-jitsu start so I think I've been doing it for roughly about nine years now. I'm still a purple belt, so I'm really mediocre. Like I'm about as mediocre. I'm not great. I just like it. Um, I'm much better kickboxer, but um, I was at the time I had left my instructor that the instructor at the time that I was working for because um, he was a raging douchebag. Right. And uh, yeah, he was like, he was like, I, I give him, I, I do feel a little bad because he was like actual diagnosed bipolar and he had medicine uh, that he had to take right, and. Right. If he didn't take the medicine, it came out like a, a evil human being. But mm. like he was a mentor of mine for a really long time. And I appreciate what he did do for me, the things that he did do. But at the same time, like I was slowly starting to get some of these traits that he had. Like I, he, he would go off the handle randomly. And that made me feel like I had to do it every once in a while. And I was like kind of getting his personality. And I did not want that. Yeah. So I told him, I was like, look, man, I'm, 
I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go ahead and just do my own thing for a while. I respect you. I respect what you've done for me, but I can't work here anymore. So I saved up enough money to open up my own school. And I did that. And what I did was I taught at a lot of after school programs because I realized that after school programs don't have overhead. So I didn't have to pay employees. A lot of places would, I had my own insurance, but a lot of places would cover you under their insurance because you were subcontracted employee for them. So it was, it was pretty cool. So I would go to the- So, so Rob, because I was a British audience, after school program, um, I'm guessing it's after school. I know it's, it is what, what it is, but in high school, primary school, uh, how does uh, it so actually you work? Do you do it in private schools. Um, oh, okay. Usually public schools in the United States don't really let you do that. It's a little harder for public schools, right. but like private schools. Um, what age is you looking at? Um, I ran the gambit. It was like, uh, like I do preschools. So like I can go to a preschool and do a program right there in the morning times for like kids ages like three to five. Oh, um, I see. And then, you know, so that would be like my morning classes. And then my afternoon classes would be like either um, like a YMCA program in the evenings, or it would be like uh, gyms. I do cardio kickboxing classes. And so I was just going to different on-site programs and teaching. Right. Um, and then one of the classes I go to, I happened to be walking up for my after-school program, and there was a guy walking out, and he had a rash guard on, and he had uh, gi pants on, like jujitsu gi pants. Yeah. And like I had a karate shirt on, and I had like uh, gi pants as well. And so like we crossed paths, and we immediately had a conversation right there. And I was like, you know, I'm one of my goals. It still is one of my goals is I want 10 black belts before I die, like legitimate ones that I had to go through the process and earn. So I probably will never happen, but you know, it's a goal. Yeah. And so I, I knew at the time that I wanted that and I wanted to start jujitsu because I knew how long it would take. So I talked to him. He was like, Hey, I'm actually opening up my facility in like a month. So months went by before I called him. But when I did, that was like what sparked it. He tapped me out so many times and he looked so bored doing it that I was like, I want to, I want to learn how to do that. I want to know how to do that. So, so I'm going to ask you, I think it could be an easy or difficult question. What do you prefer? Of? Of uh, kickboxing, karate, like striking or jujitsu? There's no difference to me. It's all like martial arts. Like, um, I think that. Uh, I think I naturally like to lean towards kickboxing because I think that as human beings, whenever we're not good at something, we always like to go and do the thing we're better at. Right. And so I'm a much better kickboxer. So if somebody was like, if I had to pick and two people at the same time said, Hey man, do you want to spar? And I was like, okay, well, what do you want to do? And this guy's like jujitsu and this guy's like kickboxing. I'd be like kickboxing, you know, right. Right. but uh, when I'm training, I enjoy them both the same, all of it. Any, anything that I do in the martial arts industry, I just, I guess I just was lucky to be able to have a passion for it that hasn't gone away. Um, and which is weird. My instructor one time, and I'll never forget this, my original instructor, um, I was outside of a facility I used to work at called black and blue video productions, which did like all these like martial arts instructional videotapes. And it's still around like Wally's dope. And, uh, so at, during the summer I would work for them and I would literally take stickers and put it on the VHS tapes so I can earn money so that way I can like buy private lessons or buy martial arts gear. It was like a little job. Yeah. And behind that, uh, that person who runs that was my instructor's best friend. So every once in a while, Lee would show up and he'd have like this new thing that he wanted to show somebody. And I was always there. So he taught me all kinds of stuff, how to throw knives, how to do bull whips, how to do nunchucks. Like he would just randomly like to teach. And one day I was out back 
and he went out back to smoke a cigarette, which he like lied to people and said he didn't smoke. But I knew he didn't. <laughs> so he's out back and he's smoking a cigarette and he just like out of nowhere, like it was super quiet. He just goes, you like this, don't you? Like he's talking about martial arts. And I was like, yeah, I absolutely love it. He goes, one day you're going to hate it. And he takes a cigarette and he flicks it and he just walks away. And oh. like that moment was like really, and for him, he probably never would remember that. He passed away a few years ago, rest in peace, but like um, he probably would have never remembered. That was really impactful to me as, a, as an impressionable teenager. And I thought like, well, maybe it will. And it never has. So I'm lucky that, you know, I've been doing this 25 years and I've never had the moment where I thought about that and been like, that's true. Because it just isn't to me. It's not true. Like you don't have to hate something because you've done it for so long. You yeah. can just find a new way to love it. Yeah. Um, I t the reason I tell you this is because um, I kind of, resented when I when I when I when I was doing karate I was there was a jiu-jitsu class straight after my one and I was I was really intrigued but the instructor at the time like he dissuaded me from doing it he's like no you don't need to do that you know it's like he um he, he was scared that I was gonna leave or whatever and I was with him for a long time man I was living with him from I think since I was eight years old eight nine years old mm -hmm. and you can imagine through my teens and and I never really picked up another martial until I hit about 26, you know, and when I started wrestling and doing jiu-jitsu. And when I, as soon as I started grappling, I was like, you know, when you just find something, I loved karate, don't get me wrong, but they got to a point where I really fell out of love with it. Because I don't know, there's something about the training that I didn't enjoy. I did it because it was a martial art, I love martial arts. But then when I started grappling, I was like, oh, you know, you just feel at home. You yeah, feel sure. like... Because I didn't really like getting punched. Do you understand? I didn't, I didn't really like getting kicked. As, even as a kid, oh, yeah. I'd flinch. Um, um, but I like the fact that with grappling, you could go as hard as you can without, without the fear of getting concussed. Or, does that make sense? Yeah, so for sure. That's you, why you I asked you that question. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can go pretty hard. Um, so where were we? Did I, were we? I think I lost my train of thought, man. <laughs> uh, good. Oh yeah, your well, martial you arts journey. So, uh, jujitsu. You've been doing it for like ten years now. Um, I want to really go into uh, in depth is your your martial arts consultation business. I don't know if you want to sure. go into that at all or, or, or yeah, not. Yeah, I love talking about that stuff. Like, I what? How, how, I didn't even because you know in, in UK, um, you just talked about your martial arts expert. It's not really much of a. It's starting to get better now with uh, with regards to martial arts industry. There is a lot of martial arts, but it's not like America. America's like, uh, you know, since the, we, we, America's always first when it comes to these things, right? So, uh, and then we get it here after. It's, it's getting better now, um, way better because of the internet and everything. But um, I think with regards to, because obviously I've been running a school for 10 years. I've got a business development background. And, um, you know, I, I advise businesses as well, um, not just software, but even business development. Um, and I think I found like there's a niche here when it comes to running a business, a martial arts business, sure. big niche. Um, so just, yeah, just talk me a little bit through like, how did you kind of manage to find something that you love and like parlay that into a business and, and live, are you still living off, are, are, you, are you still doing it or? Yeah, for sure. Like I did consulting job this morning. Right. Um, and then uh, I'll be talking at the Super Show because I mentioned it earlier. So I'll be talking there about um, how to use social media to develop your martial arts school and to create better funding for you. Um, but 
the the business side of things just kind of came up because there's a need for it. Like right. I, I grew up and when I was growing up, there were a lot of mentors that I saw and some of them taught some really good things, but they also taught some really shady things, right? So like you'd have people like Bill Clark, who was like the figurehead of like all martial arts business. He was like the guy who started like really trying to package this and make people understand that you can make money doing this. Mm. The problem was, is there was some shady things that he would also teach. And it wasn't necessarily like for me, how like the hard selling stuff like that. Um, but then like over the years of like going to different facilities, teaching at different facilities, traveling and seeing how other people do their thing, it started to make me really realize that a lot of people in the industry just don't have a clue what they're doing. Um, they think for some reason that if they just do good martial arts, people will sign up. Yeah. But that's not how any product or service works. You can be great at something, but if you don't know how to market it, you don't understand how, for instance, the most, most martial arts instructors don't know the top three numbers that you have to know to be successful. They don't know their lead generation. Mm. They don't know their retention rate. They don't know their sign up rate. Most, if I ask them off the top of their head, have absolutely no clue what those things even mean. Yeah. They could, uh, if I, a lot of martial arts instructors that I've done consultation work for, I even ask them how many students that they have signed up and they'll say, oh, I have so many students signed up. And I go, how many of those are paying members? Like, uh, and then they, they don't think that, well, a student, a member isn't really a member if they haven't paid you. Yeah. If they're not up to date, they're just an arbitrary number that's just wasting things. And, you know, and so it was really eye-opening to look at some travel, be around, see a lot of different schools and notice how many amazing instructors there were who forgot what it's like to be a white belt. And what I mean by that is when you start martial arts, the very first thing you do, actually there's four stages of learning, right? So you have unconscious incompetence, yeah. which means you don't know you don't know something, <laughs> yeah. right? So if you're a kid, you don't know what martial arts is. You don't know you don't know martial arts because you don't even know martial arts is a thing. And then you have conscious incompetence. You know you don't know something. So you watch and you say, oh man, those people are doing karate. I've never done that before. I don't know how to do it. Then you have conscious competence, means you know it, but you have to really think about it. And then finally you have unconscious competence, which means you don't even have to think about it. You just do it. Like if I ask anybody who's done jujitsu for more than a couple of days to do a rear naked choke, usually they don't need to think about it. They can just do it. Right. And so a lot of martial arts instructors do that and they'll, they'll understand that there's a stage of learning. They'll go, I don't know martial arts. So I'm going to go learn martial arts from someone who does, and then I'm going to get good at it. And then you'll go to a place. Then when they get their black belts, they'll be like so proud that they learned from someone. They're like, I'm a Donahue black belt or I'm a Henzo Gracie black belt. So they're admitting that they're under someone who taught them. But then when they go to open up a business, they don't say any of that. They go, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Like, that's stupid. That's basically the equivalent of the guy that comes off the street and says, I want to fight the instructor. Like, why? Like, I'm undefeated in the streets. I'll be any of y'all. <laughs> like, that's how dumb you look if you're a martial arts instructor who's opened up a business and learned nothing about business, or at least the business side of martial arts. Yeah. You're basically the guy off the street going, I'm from the streets. I'll be all y'all. I got the best business <laughs> in the world. Well, how much do you know about business? I know how to beat people up. Well, that's not a good resume, homie. That's not going to get you to feed and pay your light bills. It's not a transferable right? skill, man, into business. It doesn't, yeah. Uh, yeah. How many people in jail are good at that skill? How yeah. many people in jail right now can fight people and beat a lot of people? That doesn't yeah. mean that they're good at going to make a business out of it. And so um, taking the time to talk to instructors and show them how to get more people in their door 
how to keep people in their door, how to put their ego aside for the sake of the numbers, you know, yeah. and like, you don't have to give up your integrity to be financially successful. You can teach great martial arts and still be successful and not be shady, but yeah. you have to be willing to open up the fact that you don't know something. If not, you will never be more successful than you are. You have to constantly understand that you have to learn. There are techniques like anything else. 100%. Man. I mean, just from my experience of running like a school, um, simple things like what's your customer acquisition cost? Like how, how much does it, co how much does it uh, uh, cost you to get that student? And how long do you have to keep that student to get that money back? And then how do you retain that student? Uh, making sure you've got the right, you've got curriculums, you've got uh, all your health and safety sorted. All, I mean, these things we had to learn as, you know, and I tried to bring my, you know, business, um, my business, what I learned from business into, in, into, into the martial arts side of things. But sometimes it feels like, they're pulling i give an example um most people in your gym are not going to compete for example sure. technically 75 percent of people who go to your gym will never compete. there you go so if you're if you've come in with that mindset of i'm going to make them killers and i'm gonna i'm gonna you that's you're only you're only catering to like 25 percent from what you're saying yeah so what about the other 75 percent who just who want to do it to increase their confidence to lose weight to to learn something like uh you know lifelong and to to train lifelong as well and and, and, and like you know well from that 25 percent anyway that compete there's like one percent where they're going to be the athletes the ones that are going to compete in the pan ams and you know really go maybe if that if that yeah yeah for sure you know and and they don't pay that's another thing those guys don't yeah. pay. <laughs> skill, skill is subjective so exactly. people want to be the best but like as compared to who exactly like as compared to what like i think the a major issue in the martial arts industry is hands down ego yeah. martial arts instructors project their personal goals onto their students when they should never do that yeah <laughs> they'll project their personal goals on their students so they'll say like well i wanted to be a fighter so i'm going to make all my students have to want that same thing and a lot of schools will badmouth any schools that don't have the same goals yeah and so like so they'll true. be martial arts instructors like here's here's a funny one this is one's always baffles me so there are a lot of people who like taekwondo they take up taekwondo they enjoy taekwondo they get benefits out of taekwondo and taekwondo helps them reach their personal goals awesome i love that but then you'll have people in like MMA or jiu-jitsu or boxing that will laugh at those people and say, oh, you got your black belt in like three years. That doesn't count. Meanwhile, they'll defend people like BJ Penn who got his black belt in three years. And they'll be like, well, you know, it's because, you know, he's legit. Like, no, he's doing what you do. And he had goals that are similar to your goals. So at the end of the day, you're just projecting your own insecurities onto these people who wanted to just lose weight who maybe their parents grew up in Taekwondo. Maybe they have some type of issues that Taekwondo is much better for them health-wise. Like, we don't know. We don't know why it is. But at the end of the day, if you're downing those people for doing that, which, by the way, I call out frauds, right? I will never down somebody for just doing a martial art that improves their life. Yeah. What I will down is when they lie to people. When they're saying they can knock people out with their mind, that's not improving anyone's life. Like when you abuse your students, that's not improving their life. That's not making them tough. That's making them abused, so, right? If you rip them off financially, that's not improving their life. And those are the kind of things I call out. If somebody's just, people send me videos all the time of people doing Taekwondo. And I'm like, yep, that's what that looks like. <laughs> that's uh, that's what that's supposed to be. <laughs> like, I don't know what you want me to do about it. 
So Rob, I was. This is. Um, we'll end on this as well. So I know you're a busy guy, but um, so a lot of people who might look at your your um, your page might look at it and think, you know what, he's bagging on traditional martial arts. Do you see what I'm saying? So this is kind of like not. I'm not saying you are. I'm not saying you are. No, no, of course uh, I get it a lot. But so like, I'm, yeah, because that's probably why you get those videos of people doing taekwondo or whatever it is. Um, I find myself um, like for, uh, we've all come from a traditional martial arts background, and there would be no MMA without traditional martial arts. It just doesn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't exist. Well, that's know? what the word means. Exactly. Martial arts. Exactly. Have yeah. The other ones. So my question to you is this: um, in because of the internet, because of the information we have and all this we, we, we've got together, um, where, do you, where do you feel traditional martial arts sits uh, w with regards to modern martial arts now? Well, let's, do you think let's it's talk gonna... about what... Well, go let's ahead. talk about martial arts in general, like okay. the word. Yeah. Like you have martial of war and yeah. you have arts, self-expression. Yeah. You can adapt self-expression through a lot of different mediums, painting... Uh, music, movies, those are all considered art, right? And martial arts is self-expression through war, right? Learning about combat, learning about combat of arts, that's what you're doing. And so I think the big thing is, is that if we really look back at the oldest forms of self-expression through combat, wrestling is one of the oldest forms that there is, Yeah, you know? So like, are we saying like that technically is one of the oldest forms of combat? You can see that all the way back to the Roman times, like even before that, where mm. people like Abraham Lincoln was a catch as catch can yes. wrestler. <laughs> yeah. He's in the wrestling hall of fame. Like that dude's legit, right? So if we're talking about traditional wrestling would fall into that. So no, I'm yeah. not bagging on wrestling. Yeah. If we're talking about pugilism, boxing has been around for almost just as long as wrestling, right? Yeah. So pugilism, two people standing in front of each other throwing the fisticuffs. And if you're going to do that, that's technically considered a traditional form of martial arts, self-expression through like physical actions of war. And so when we're thinking about that, like, no, I'm not bagging on traditional martial arts. I have five very specific rules. They're the easiest rules in the world to learn. So if you ever want to know why I do what I do, just listen to these rules. One, unsafe training practices and cult-like behavior. If somebody is abusing their students physically in an unsafe manner or running a cult, which means that everything they're doing is for the benefit of themselves and not their students, that is what I stand up against. Lying about your belt rank or your fight record, no matter what your art is, that should be spoken about because that's usually the first conversation you have with an instructor. And if they're going to lie about that, they'll probably lie about just about anything else. Yeah. No touch knockouts, which is ridiculous, I know, but there's a lot of it around the world, or mislabeling technique. For instance, if you go, which is more common, if you go to like a cardio kickboxing class and they tell you the facts, yeah, you're going to learn some kicks and punches here, but this is not a self-defense class, but you will lose weight. That's honest. If you go to a cardio kickboxing class and they're trying to hype you up like you're going to be the next great kickboxer, you're not. That's lying to you, right? Then you have stuff like um, shady business practices. So that's another specific rule. If they're lying to you about how much you're going to have to pay, if they're up front, they can charge whatever they want. If they're going to say it's $1,000 a month, that's it. And you decide to pay it, that's on you. Yeah, that's, that, that's on you. If they say, hey, it's only going to be $200 a month. And then all of a sudden, there are these magical fees that pop up and all these things that you did not agree to that keeps eating your money out of your wallet. That's not cool. You know what I'm saying? That That's yeah. not 
conducive to what we're trying to do as martial artists. So unsafe training practices, lying about your belt rank, um, no touch knockouts, mislabeling techniques, shady business practices. And then for some reason, the fifth one is escaping me because I got put on the spot and I don't remember what the <laughs> is. It's bothering me to no end. Um, you should have them tattooed on you, man. I should. Like, <laughs> it should be something that I have. Like, you know, but the idea is, is that I'm not just picking on an art. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show people that there are more issues here than the fact that someone does karate. I don't care. I think that's awesome. If you're going to a martial art and it's bettering your life and you're doing it for the sake of trying to be better a person or meet, meet a personal goal, who cares? Like if you look on my page, feel free to go scroll for as long as you can. And I dare you to find one person, unless it was a comedy skit, which I posted skits before, one person who is just training by themselves, no matter how crazy, and see if I ever posted it up. You won't find it because I don't. And there's a guy trying to better himself by doing bag work and he sucks. Well, oh, we yeah, all yeah. start somewhere. Who cares? He, he's doing better. He's doing better than he was the day before. Who am I to pick on that person? But if they're a school and an instructor and they're lying to students or teaching them stuff that will get them hurt, I'll be all over that. So let's end on this one, yeah? What is the funniest video or footage you've ever come across? It might not be the top, but that comes to your mind right now. Which one would you say uh, really took, <laughs> really kind of like flabbergasted you like when you saw it and... Well, I don't know about the funniest, but the one that always stands out in my mind, Yeah, uh, I kind of talked about him earlier, uh, but the one that really stands out in my mind is a guy named Edon Abelnick. Is it, Edon can Ab we bring it up? You should be able to. Yeah, it should be hard. Yeah, like um, uh, Edon Abelnick literally shot a student um, doing gun disarms with live ammunition. Uh, we're going to get banned from YouTube. For sure, it's fun. <laughs> we got um, a strike last night. I didn't obviously post the video of him oh, shooting. This okay, dude, okay, okay. But um, the the thing is, is that what brought it to my attention was like him training his students by literally beating the living snot out of them. Like we're talking, like he hit a woman in the face so hard by smacking her open handed palm, like she's bleeding all over. I don't over mean the place. to laugh, but that's nuts, man. Uh, it's absolutely insane. That's outrageous. Um, but he's one of the craziest ones because his cult following is absolutely insane. Anytime anybody talks about him, his followers will like jump on your stuff and just like type and type and type and type. And they will, they're relentless. Luckily, I love that kind of shit. You're more than welcome. All you're doing is helping me. You're paying my bills. So if you want to sit here and argue with me, remember only one of us is getting paid for this interaction. And so like I called this dude out for it and he admits that he shot the student. He admits that he did the gun disarm with live ammunition. He admits to literally frauding people by not giving them money back for seminars that he didn't show up to. He admits to setting up multiple challenge matches with people and never showing up. He, he got kicked off a gun range in South Africa for the illegal activity that he was doing. All these things he admits to. Is he right? American? No, he's not. He's from South Africa. Oh, South African, yeah. Well, he is in South Africa. I do believe he's from uh, Israel. Oh, right, but, right. At the end of the day, this dude is openly admitting that he is a huge fraud and con, but his followers still follow him. It is insane to me. And then what kills me is after I posted this video up about this dude, right? Full breakdown. And it's on my YouTube channel. It's called the Kala Despot. And so like, if you watch this video, everything that I said, he himself admits to. 
And then his students will yell at me. They get mad that I like are, that I posted this information. And I said one thing to all of them that none of them have been able to answer, which is what did I say that was incorrect? <laughs> none of them have an answer because he admits to all of it. And he got like mad. He went on like a 30 minute live and went like on a rant about how he was going to sue me. Like, feel free to sue my because you ain't doing nothing. Like, you that dude is like a super coward. And like, he comes off as like hard, like militant type dude. He just oh, like, oh, was he the guy? There was a guy that um, I saw a Vice a documentary about. I don't know if he was the same guy as another Israeli guy, fake martial uh -huh. artist. Oh, I've got his name, he's got ponytail. Oh, they all have ponytails, innit? Um, <laughs> I, received... I mean, I don't think this guy, I don't think, had a ponytail, but like. You know, it's, uh, it's, maybe it's, it's not him. I, it always stands out to me because out of all the frauds, it's really hard to get the frauds to admit fault. Yeah. Not yeah. only does this one admit fault, he almost seems proud that he's a terrible human being and people still follow him. It's insane to me. Um, we're all, I don't know if you've already done this, but when you're going to expose the Detroit guy, man, dust guy, man. Already did. You yeah, did, didn't so, yeah, for sure. Like I, I did. What a video is going on with this guy, man? Does can I ask you a question? For sure. Um, I think there's something about him, yeah. When he looks into the camera, and he does the, you know, the eyebrow thing. I can't do it properly. Yeah, that he yeah, knows. That, you see that eyebrow thing that he does? <laughs> That's like you see the fingerless gloves. That's the same gloves the other guy was wearing. I told you about <laughs> same ones. So pause it for a second, Zach. Um, he know do you feel like he he knows what he knows is is it a parody it's not a parody so he takes himself le legit serious absolutely that is not a parody that is not an act that is exactly who he is but that's the hard part is trying to convince people that these crazy people are real is like the hardest part of my job <laughs> like, it is People all the time say, there's no way this is real. They had to do this just to get on your page. Yeah, that's what they I'm... don't know is like how often these people are like upset at me. And like, they don't know how much research I do into these people. Like Vice did a documentary about him like decades ago. Who, like, the, what's his name? New. Dale, Dale Brown. Dale, that's it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like, this isn't new. He runs an actual facility. His facility, by the way, is not in Detroit. His facility is in Ferndale, about 30 minutes away from Detroit. So he talks about Detroit pride but he doesn't even have his facility in Detroit. So like, you know, it's absolutely insane. You can look it up, by the way. He also owes back taxes on his original building that was on Detroit. I do believe from like 2017, I think he owes back taxes. Um, so like the dude wow. is not, the dude's not a great human being. The dude is a self promoter. And like, and the worst part about it, and I, I've spoken about this quite a bit in the past. And yeah. my biggest gripe about Dale is maybe he does do good things for his community. That's never been in question. I don't know if he does. I don't know if he doesn't. I know he runs a security company for pay and that people have to pay for his services. As a matter of fact, the last time I checked, it's a dollar a minute. And all that gets you is them showing up to your facility or your house and they'll wait there until the police get there. That's what they do. They're just, they're, they're security guards. Right. And so he has a security company that does get hired out by like other companies to do security and stuff like that. And people I have talked to, I went on a live for like three hours with one of his ex-employees and we went back and forth about a lot of things. And some things I told him that he was like, yeah, that's really messed up. And some things he told me that changed a little bit of my mind about him. Right. But one thing right. for certain is he's a narcissist. If you really care about your students, I mean, you really do care, right? 
then you would do the best that you could do to become better at your job. So that way you can better your students. When you're on a world platform at this point, Dale is, and you've got the eyeballs of the world on you and you have Navy SEALs, special forces operators, tactical firearms instructors, professional fighters, all telling you the same thing, which is what you're doing is incorrect. If you really cared about your students, what you would do is you would take that opportunity to say, you know what, maybe you are right. I would love for you to come down to the facility. You are more than welcome to teach a seminar here. This is not a challenge and teach us how to do it better. Would you be willing to do that? Instead, Dale Brown's gets real small all of a sudden. And then he decides, oh, this is a challenge? You don't know. We're from Detroit. We learned this in the streets. You sound like an utter moron when you do that. You do not sound like someone who cares. You sound like somebody whose ego is hurt. And then on top of that, that's a person who really does not care about his students because he's not taking the time to listen to that criticism from people who are experts in what they do. By the way, I'm sponsored by a Navy SEAL-run company. Killcliffe is a Navy oh, SEAL-run company. Yeah. And they themselves, Navy SEALs, all say that he's teaching garbage when it comes to firearms. And if he has access to these people's attention, why not reach out to get better? But he doesn't do that because he cares more about having views, likes, and money than he does at all about his community. So at the end of the day, I have absolutely no respect for that man whatsoever at all. He's a terrible human being who's a attention whore who now has like a management company managing him. And people are like, how do you get Snoop Dogg? It wasn't because Snoop Dogg thinks he's great, I promise you. <laughs> like he has a management company that most likely got him that interview, that got him in, in like to do collaborations. And then anybody is going to want clout. So whenever you see like people like, for instance, uh, the last UFC where he was actually like a, a corner. Fan. Yeah, 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 that's right, that's right, yeah, yeah. And he held the bucket, okay. Um, but when he was the corner man, like what that fighter said at the end was extremely telling as to why Dale was there. The first thing the fighter said, and this is post-fight victory in the ring cage, was thank you, Dale, for all the views and all the people who are going to be watching because of your channel. He did it for clout. Mm. He didn't do it because he was like, Dale Brown's going to be a great training camp. No, Dale Brown himself has spoken out against MMA training saying it's not realistic. The only reason he did it... <laughs> The only reason he did it was specifically because he needed to get respect from the community. He wanted to become off as legit rather than actually learning from these mm. people and becoming legit. It's absolutely insane to me. Because it, it's, it's a, I thought, you know, honestly, when I first saw it, I thought it was, uh, it was a bit like, um, man, I forgot his name. The guy with the red uh, Master Ken. Master, was it Master Ken? Master Ken. Yeah, because yeah. that's, and, and Hinato Laranja as well. I thought it was something like that. And then it turns out this guy was, you know what it feels like? It feels like, the martial arts community, for, imagine just to kind of, he kind of got in there through a side door and kind of wandered his way in. No one said mm. anything. So he kept on doing what he was doing. And then eventually he became, does that make sense? He kind of like, yeah, for sure. that's what it felt like. And now, I don't know, he's kind of died down a little bit. I haven't seen him about for coming up. Of course. Office. Well, because like Dale Brown did something that was interesting and then he did something to hurt himself. By the way, I remember my fifth rule. Go on. It's a, uh, it's pedophiles. So like there's a there's a large number of pedophiles in the martial arts industry. Like it's astonishing. Every week, literally every week, I could do a story about someone who got caught as a martial arts instructor who molested a child. Um, so I speak out about that as well. Um, but anyway, it was bothering me that I couldn't remember what that was. You can't just throw um, pedophiles in there like that, man. Flipping out, you scared the crap out of me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't throw them in. I'm trying to kick them out. Take them out, take them out. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah. yeah, like Hanato Larange is playing an act. Master Ken's playing an act. Gale Brown is 100% being him. And that's what's so hard for people to swallow is that these people who are this insane can really exist because we're, we're sane people. We, 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 we understand, yeah. you know? And it's like, when you see something that strange and that out there, then you, you think it can't possibly be a real thing. And people really are like not understand. Hold on. I have, I have an example of where Dale Brown fails horrifically. Good. So, I'm in the States. You're not. I get it. So this is my friend, Mr. Glock. Jeez. All right. <laughs> so, as you can see, Mr. Glock is empty. Mr. Glock does yeah. not have any rounds in the chamber. We're good. Okay. So Dale Brown himself has this advice. Yeah. His advice is never leave a round in the chamber. Rack it and then you can shoot. Yeah. That's Dale Brown's advice. All right. So we'll follow his advice and then follow another piece of advice that he has. So he talks a lot about taking the gun out of battery. So uh, I'm going to uh, take what, Dale Brown's advice. Take, so, and Rob, so I didn't hear the gun out of battery. Like, um, so if I'm here and the, there's one in the chamber and I grab the slide and push, yeah. the gun's now out of battery. It won't actually shoot. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so let's take Dale Brown's advice. All right. So there's none in the chamber. See, no click. All right. So I have a firearm and I pointed it at your chest. Yeah. Dale Brown's advice is, oh, there's a gun pointed at my chest. Well, what I'm going to do is take the, my hand. I'm going to take the gun out of battery. And now you can't shoot. What would you naturally do if you were holding a gun and someone grabbed it? I'd shoot. I, well, don't, I, know, mean, bro. I don't know. I don't know, bro. To most of you oh, tell you guys me. Don't have, so <laughs> I know that this thing is saving my life. This right. makes me in charge of the situation. If you start grabbing for this, my goal would be to keep this. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pull it back. Yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pull it back to my chest and I'm going to hold that thing to make sure that you don't get a hold of it. Yes. Right. So if his advice is don't have one in the chamber, so I don't, then his other advice is take the gun out of battery. And then I naturally pull back. Guess what I just did? I shot myself. I loaded around. Right. So he literally, in his own advice, is loading the gun for you if you take all of his advice. That is utterly ridiculous. Like the natural reaction of you grabbing anything, anything. You yeah, can learn the, this in history. Yeah. It's the pull. You start grabbing my sleeve, I'm going to want to get my sleeve back. You start grabbing my lapel, I'm going to start pushing your hand away and pulling my chest back. It's very natural movement for you to pull. But Dale Brown does this magic trick, which is, it is a magic trick, by the way. He leads his people to react and respond the way he wants them to. So here's what he does. He has one and he points the gun. He tells them to point the gun at his head. Almost always they have the gun with their arms straight. Almost always. Gun all the way out, right? So they're here. Then what he does is he tells that person, all right, so what I want you to do is I want you to pull the trigger when you see me move, right? What he does not say is I want you to shoot me as many times as you can. He does not say, I want you to try to shoot me. He says, I want you to pull the trigger. So naturally, they're going to do what he asked, which is just to pull the trigger one time. That's it. So when he does this, move his head out of the way, grab the gun. Well, yeah, stupid. That's because you told them what to do. <laughs> like you told them to just pull the trigger one You're time. You're attacking me wrong. <laughs> exactly. And so the one time someone showed up and actually did call him on that crap, Kenji, which yes. is a video that was very natural. Yeah, I saw that one. He shot him like seven times. <laughs> and you know what? His response to that was very telling of how much of a narcissist he really is. His feelings got so hurt about that 
that he released a video of him beating Kenji up when he was literally just showing a technique that Kenji volunteered his arm for and then wrenched his wrist. It's like he purposely, and then he bragged about hurting him. It's like, so let me get this straight. A student showed up to your facility and they volunteered their arm to you. They volunteered for you to show a technique and you purposely tried to hurt them. And that was your response to what they did to you. Like, so in that moment, you had no clue that that video was going to go out that way. You had no clue that yeah, that was going to happen to you. Yeah. But then you decided to hurt a student who was somebody who was visiting your facility all for the sake of your ego. That's not a good person. That's somebody who literally took a student and hurt them on purpose. We're not in a sparring context. I promise you if Kenji actually fought Dale Brown, Kenji would fuck Dale Brown up. <laughs> like, he would put what does Kenji do? What, what's his background? Kenji's a jiu-jitsu guy. Oh, okay, yeah, I thought so. Okay, right. But he's right. like a competitor. He's not. Yeah. He's he's a game. He's he's game. So yeah. like, it's not like. So at the end of the day, it's like really interesting. Like what he does to try to bolster himself as somebody who I'm. Look, I'm mediocre. I am not the greatest in the world, but I can guarantee you, I can. I know what bullshit looks like. <laughs> I don't. You know, and so when I look at some somebody like Dale Brown, who clearly was abusing somebody in his martial arts facility then brags about it as if he beat him up in a non-sparring situation where there was no resistance that was supposed to be had, where they volunteered their arm. That would be the equivalent of going into a jiu-jitsu school and they break your arm to show an arm bar and then brag about it. Yeah, that's, yeah. Like, yeah, no, you, I gave you my arm. I yeah. allowed you to do the arm bar to demonstrate to people and then you broke it. That makes you a terrible person. And so it's like a really amazing to me how like Dale has this like weird cult following and what people keep forgetting about Dale is he limits all of his comments. Not anybody can just comment on his stuff. And like any comment that is written that's negative, he typically either deletes the comment or blocks the person. He's been called out by like Tom DeBlass. Tom DeBlass offered him $50,000 to come spar with one of his female students. 50 G. <laughs> I offered to pay for Dale's flight, pay for his food, pay for his hotel, for him to come meet us at a neutral facility not in his facility where he'll be able to take legal action against me if anything happens, but in a neutral facility where we can actually pressure test his stuff in a scientific environment. Like not, I don't even need to fight the dude. All I need to do is say, these are the techniques you showed. Let's apply them in a stressful situation and see if that technique works. Because you got to remember, even Anderson Silva has lost fights. Yeah. So just fighting people doesn't necessarily show if the technique works. But if the situation is, I have a gun to your chest, and I'm going to pull the trigger. I ain't going to pull the trigger just one time. <laughs> like, I promise you, if I'm under a, in a situation of duress and I'm scared and I already have my finger on the trigger, I'm going to pull that trigger a lot because I'm scared. Yeah. I'm not going to pull it once because I'm freaking out. In his fantasy world, that gun only goes off one time. That's not how life works. You know, that's not how someone's scared and you getting real jumpy towards them works. Now, I'm not saying all gun disarms are dog. There, it's a percentage. Some work a little better than others, but it's still real low. But I'm saying what he has been teaching is dog. Wow. So what does your mom think of you now, man? I called my mom last night, man. I told her about us getting representation for uh, for our movie, and she cried. Because oh. She was so proud of me. And uh, she should that be, meant man. a lot. You know, so that was really, really cool. That was like a cool moment that I could like make my mom feel that good to yeah. be able to, you know, I didn't want her to cry obviously, but making yeah. her feel good about like I had accomplished something. Oh, you know, so she nice. made the right decision, didn't it? She, she allowed yeah, you to know, start. Yeah. So I might just said yeah. no, um, you wouldn't be where you are. Well, you might have found a way 
but yeah, um, you never know. I'm sure she supported you as well along the way, you know. Um, but you know, you know, it's really weird you pulling out that gun on on the thing because <laughs> because I love it though, I love it. But it's like for me, it's like right, the guy just pulled out a gun. <laughs> I've had a gun pulled out on me uh, on me uh, one, uh, once in London. Yeah, and uh, y'all laughed at me when I said someone's gonna shoot me. <laughs> no, 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 no. But but you know what it is? Our things are replicas, man. Look, you know what they do here? They get replicas and they and they make them into guns. Basically, they bore. I don't know how they do it, but um, I got you. Mm. Um, I don't know. You probably know more about it than I do. But um, that's a, a lot. Yeah. A lot of the guns here are like that. Um, I have um, a bulletproof vest in my backpack. Um, so I get I get so many death threats that uh, I wherever whenever I go out of town, I always have my backpack. It's always on me all the time for a couple of reasons, like. One, if I want to buy something from like a store, I don't want to carry a bag. I can just shove it in my backpack. But I also have like a bulletproof sleeve. Um, and so if anybody ever decides that they want to take a pop shot, you're going to have to look me in the face at least. You're not going <laughs> to, or you're going to have to shoot me in the head. Yeah, in the head. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you got a gun license and everything. Yeah, it's all, obviously you do. Um, well, I mean, over here in the United States, it's a little bit more like I have a concealed carry, but over here in the United States, it's a little bit more like what is and what is not allowed. Like we're allowed to have firearms in our home. Yeah. Um, you know, like you're certain states, every state has a different rule and law and regulation. Um, so every state's a little different, what you can and can't have, when you can and can't have it. So it, it's not as clean cut as like all of the United States. Like each state is a little different. What about, um, is it open carry? Open carry is in certain places. Like not every state does open carry, but there are definitely some states. And there are some states now that do something called constitutional carry which means like you, you can just have a firearm without needing to get any type of like, not like, for instance, in order for me here in Florida to have a firearm on me, when I'm going out and about, I have to have my concealed carry license, right? Like in constitutional carry, like I still have to go through the process in order to get the gun. So I have to do the paperwork, pass all the the checks and all that, but I don't have to have the license to carry it on. Right. So like here, we don't need a driver. We don't have to carry our driver license, basically, but you can still drive a car similar. Oh so, yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess it's very similar. Okay. For sure. Except that we don't get to shoot people with our cars. <laughs> <laughs> so that so I'm guessing you carry that for protection. Did you always carry a gun or is it since you got death threats? No, man. I I, I grew up in the South. Yeah. And anybody that knows the United States, at least the uh the version of the United States yeah. that gets sold to the outside world is that southern yeah. people carry guns. Yeah, yeah. It's not all not true. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, I grew up in the woods, man. So I grew up with shotguns. I grew up with rifles. I grew up understanding how to hunt and stuff like that. Um, I and think that's so, awesome, man. Yeah, I, I think that because I grew up that way, I was always very comfortable, but I was always extremely respectful of a firearm yeah. because I know that it's not a toy. But I was taught it wasn't a toy at a young age. Yeah. Um, there are very specific rules to firearm safety. Like, you know, you don't point the gun at anything you don't plan on destroying. Yeah. You know, understand what your target is and what's behind the target. Keep your finger off the trigger until it's time to pull the boomstick. Um, you know, and if you want to make the gun go bang, keep your finger off the trigger. Yeah. Um, and so it is one of those things where if you learn about the safety, I think it makes it better for you in the long run to be a more responsible gun on. Yeah. There are a lot of people out there who are absolutely anti-gun, who don't take the time to learn about firearms, like yeah. Alec Baldwin, for instance. Oof. And then he goes on set and he winds up shooting somebody. He's so anti-gun that he never took the time to really learn the, the rules of having a firearm, breaks a standard rule of a firearm and kills somebody over it. Yeah. Like, that's neglect on his part, 100%. 
Now it's neglect on a lot of people's parts because whoever was in charge of the props and stuff like that. So there's a lot to blame, but he himself had that firearm in his hand. He himself was not treating it respectfully. And then you look at somebody like Will Smith, Will Smith, I don't know his position on firearms, but I know for a hundred percent that he follows firearm safety because there's a video of him on the set of like, um, Oh, bad boys. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. And so had all these props on the table and somebody pulled up the gun and starts like pointing, moving it around. And he points the gun and puts it back down on the table. Like while it's in the other guy's hands, he slaps it down on the table. So don't do that. And so like, he's respectful of firearm safety as you should, you should treat every firearm as if it's loaded. Yeah. Everyone. So like, it always blows my mind when people are like, Oh my God, like guns are stupid. And then they go and pick up a gun and they have no clue any yeah. respect for the, the tool. And then they just wave it around. Like that's okay. It's not okay. Like, if you own a gun, it's not a toy, homie. Like, there are rules to owning things. Like, there are a 2,000-pound car I'm driving down the highway at 70 miles an hour can kill people. So yeah. what don't you do? You don't get drunk and drive your car. <laughs> so, like, you can be neglectful and hurt a lot of people with any tool that you're not respectful of. 100%. Rob, it's been a pleasure, man. Honestly, thank you so much for sharing your story. And... um I'm gonna. I'm obviously. I'm keeping a close eye on uh, the documentary when it's coming out. Um, I'm really, really keen to to kind of watch it and and experience it. Um, and uh, maybe when you do bring it out, maybe later on we can have another conversation or whatever. We just keep the uh, you know the cha- the channel of communication open. Um, Anytime. And uh, is there anything you want to share with us before we leave or any of the, the yeah, viewers? Man, like- for sure. I got like almost a half a million followers on Instagram. Right. And I got like, I think like almost 400,000 followers on TikTok, but yeah. I almost have 70,000 on YouTube. Like I'm putting out original content. People it's not just clips. If you really want to learn about who these people are, you want to learn about like who they are, what they've done. If you want to learn any information about them, one thing I get asked all the time is why don't you post their particular names and call them out on Instagram? Because if I did, Instagram would remove it for bullying. I can't do that. But what I can do is post the clip and then I can give a full breakdown on YouTube because their policies and procedures are different. So if you really want to learn about the who, what, why, when, and where these people are, go check. See, look at that. There you go, bro. (laughs) If you really want to learn about like the who, what, when, why, and where of these people, just go over there. I cover news stories. I do breakdowns about weird arts and styles and the people who teach them. There's a lot of information there. So if you really do care about like learning, don't be one of those keyboard dudes like, I want to know where they are so I can go fight them. If you're not willing to click a button to go look at the video to get their information, you're not willing to go fight them, I promise you. That's what it is. So do you have a website? No, everything's on social media. Every social media. Okay, fine, fine. Okay. I probably should make one. I've owned mcdojolife.com forever. Um, I just don't have anybody to like do it. Um, so I need somebody who makes websites to help, but um, I make websites. So oh, if you ever well, need it, <laughs> I do. We'll, 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 talk. we'll talk. Yeah. It'd be, it'll be really awesome. It's a directory. Yeah. For so sure. for all, all well, the fake instructors, you click on them where, where they are, all that stuff. I don't know if it's illegal, legal to do that, but that, that, that I'm guessing. you. It depends on how you word it. Yeah. So like, if you say these people are fake, this is where they yeah. are. Ah, not good. But if you say, 
check out these martial arts instructors. <laughs> right, right, right. It's, it's right. very tricky. I guess but, you'd, um, you'd have to advise us on that. But yeah, if you're interested in making webs, I'm definitely down. Like, if, 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 if I you need it, hundred percent. So I'd be happy. And then I'll send you over the. We have a trailer for the the documentary, so we can't put it public yet. Okay. But we've made it, so right. I'll send it over to you. Can check it out. Oh man, you're a star, Rob. Thank you very much. Have a lovely rest of your day. Uh, we're gonna probably gonna get some dinner now and go sleep. Well, uh, good. <laughs> I'll see you on the flip side. All right, man. Later. Take care, bro. See you later. And everyone at home, I hope you enjoyed that. We did definitely. And uh, I guess we'll see you on the next one.